I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I don't like blood and guts, but I love them when they're lengthily Hello listeners, this is Matt Gorley. Just a little note before we begin. We had a little audio malfunction, so we ended up using the Zoom audio. Not entirely ideal, but in this case, actually, it didn't sound all that bad. And you probably wouldn't even know it had I not have mentioned it. Well, you can't say we don't care about quality here at... With Gorley and Rust. Well, Paul... God oh my damn it, gosh. we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. Uh, Gorley, it is good to see you. It's very exciting. So exciting to be here. It's technically season four of With Gorley and Rust. And man, what are we tackling this time? We are tackling a big old mighty xenomorph. That's right. We're just like Jason in Jason X. We're cryogenically getting frozen and going on a long journey past our solar system out to LV426, and we're going to just take a big face hugger to the face. <laughs> now, I might be uh, mistaken on my timelines here, but Alien was inspired by Jason X, correct? Absolutely. And and if the timeline seems weird, it's because... Don't worry about it. Just don't worry. Yeah, just don't worry about it. Yeah. With yeah. all of these franchises, there is a point with timelines uh, where they go, don't worry about it. Yeah, and I think it actually, not to get too into the weeds right off the bat, but I think that starts with this first alien because I was looking at the timeline where it originally kind of was listed, I think, in one of the drafts of the script as 2087, which is weird to think it's just 67 years away, but oh, then yeah. gets re reconfigured to be like 21 something as official canon for this film. I'm still not clear on it. And I don't when think does it get important. reconfigured? Ooh, that's I, a good I, question, maybe. Yeah, me. I can't remember if it was retconned by a comic or another one of the films. Someone will know, but as usual, we're, you know, lovers, not experts here. We're that's, enthusiasts, you know. And and we're enthusiasts because, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, Matt, Alien is a flat-out masterpiece. It It's so much is, I was even saying, like, and this is not to dismiss the three franchises we've covered before, 
Right. But this feels like the first legitimately good film. And I'm not dissing Halloween one. You know how much I love that movie, but I think we can both agree that some parts of that were happy accidents and not an entirely planned. This feels like an intentional, fully big budgeted masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, I I had the same thought when I was watching that I thought, oh, we've watched, um, well, I don't know the exact number. How many of the 12? 12 Jasons. And, and a Freddy. <laughs> oh, that would be good. And yeah. then uh, 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 11 Michaelses, 10 Michaelses. I think, yeah, I think 11, right? Yeah, so that's 23 and then nine Freddies. But I guess one of those is uh, shared so like around 30-ish, yeah. early, early 30s of of these movies. And I did think like, oh, it is funny that after 30 of these, we are watching like I, heads and tails, just like a bubble. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, uh, uh, that's not to say, yes, I do think Halloween, I would use the same word for Halloween masterpiece, which is a yeah. short shelf for me, but it's a masterpiece too. on its own terms this is like you're right this is like a big budgeted fully conceived executed with every seemingly everything at their disposal uh whereas halloween it's beauty or whatever that it pulls off is like oh my gosh they're just like dicking around in pasadena <laughs> yeah that was the original title <laughs> God, if you're just joining us and it's occurring to me that you might be because maybe you're not like a slasher movie franchise fan. You're just a science fiction slasher slash commando movie fan. Let's uh, tell you what we're doing here. My name's Matt Gorley. And my name's Paul Rust. And, and Matt, this is, this, yeah. this is like what just happened right now is the equivalent of the opening credits of Alien, where the letters slowly emerge to spell yes. out Alien. That's what we were trying to re uh, recreate here. Yeah, and that was entirely intentional, <laughs> just like Alien and not like Halloween. And just, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's talk about our podcast. Yeah, so this started in 2018 with In Voorhees We Trust with Gorley and Rust, which we chose purely on basis of a really catchy rhyme for the title yes we we um despise the friday the 13th films uh we had to be <laughs> we were informed about the rhyme because we were in a library reading dickens yeah yeah we were gonna do in dickens we trust with gickens and rust yeah but we didn't have the rhyme and yeah. then somebody was like well you know Gorley does kind of rhyme with Voorhees." And we're like, kind of <laughs> <laughs> and they were like what philistine yeah we do tell we were so intellectually superior that we actually beat him up like a bully. Uh, uh, no, just kidding. We were huge Friday the 13th fanatics. I had tweeted one evening while watching a Friday the 13th movie, so, so, uh, an opinion, a thought that was positive and what I loved about Friday the 13th. And uh, Mr. Gorley responded in kind and said, hey, we should do a podcast talking about these Friday the 13th movies. That's right. And the, the powers that be Colin Anderson at Stitcher saw that and welcomed it. And we did it as a premium podcast and then came back the next year where we would tackle Halloween. We love both these franchises, but Friday the 13th was kind of Paul's baby. Halloween was mine. And then to make that title work, I legally changed my name to Guyers. So it could be in Myers we trust with Guyers and Rust. And, and then thank you for doing that, man. I mean, I, I, I've said it 
as many times as I could, but I really appreciate you going through all the red tape to change your last name. Well, it's, I'm still going through it now for my fourth time <laughs> because then, then we decided to strike out our own for various reasons. We started a Patreon, which we'll tell you about in a minute. And we did in Kruger retrust with Gruger and Rust. And I went back down to the County recorder there in Norwalk, California, which was difficult during pandemic. I've had to do a lot of this by virtual correspondence. And now I'm right in the middle. It has, I haven't got the paperwork yet, but I am changing my name to Genomorph. Oh, I knew, I knew you were considering it. You didn't know if you were going to pull the trigger, but I, I appreciate that, Mr. Genomorph. Well, it was an 11th hour decision because I was even there talking to Nancy at the county recorders. And, and I said, do you like um, Gase Hugger, Guest Burster, or Genomorph? I said, well... My in-laws, they, you know, they're genomorphs. And I said, great. And I went with it. And so, oh, so she has some sort of familial connection. Yeah, with the it, yeah, it rang true for her. And that meant something to me. So, and, so uh, you did it. I did it. And here we are starting our fourth season. Now, you're listening to this maybe for free, just as you would any normal podcast. But guess what? You could be getting this a week early without ads also getting full feature-length film commentaries like Halloween, Friday the 13th Part 4, Predator, The Thing. These are ones we've already done. And actually, The Thing hasn't even come out yet, so get in line for that. That's exciting. Get in line for The Thing! And mailbag episodes, um, certain little perks and polls. There's a yeah. Discord there where we're all chatting. Just oh, Gorley, yeah, you've been doing beautiful illustrations. Uh, or uh, by this time, it's complete, but people can go back and look at the uh, days of uh, Christmas that you've drawn. That's right, the 25 day advent calendar of horror <laughs> Christmas classic cartoon caboodles. Beautifully rendered. Thank if you, you had so to put much. one on a, a, a poster, a t-shirt, what would you choose, Gorley? Which one is your fave so far? Well, it hasn't come out, but it will be out by the time this comes out. And I did a drawing of baby Jason, Freddie, and Michael with it being chaperoned by an adult Chucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, and yeah. So just go to uh, patreon.com slash with Gorley and rust and you can find all that information there too and also and then we'll get this business out of the way go to Gorley and rust no with just Gorley and rust.redbubble.com and you can get all the new with Gorley and rust merchandise all the graphics from the different shows on t-shirts mugs stickers there's probably even new items available now by the time this comes out so check it out Ooh, yeah join the club it's fun yeah it's good to be here i'm so excited to be back i watched this movie this morning ah great oh, morning yeah i watched it when it's like started it when it was still dark so it just ah. like the fact that they were rising out of their you know right. chambers and it just felt oh yeah that's uh well oh oh my gosh you're making me realize maybe this is the primary thing we got to say about this podcast it's a cozy cast Oh, right. It's a cozy, easy listening podcast where, hey, the stuff we're talking about on screen might be a little gruesome, <laughs> a little gory and bloody, but the, the, the talk about it is, hey, put on a nice thick robe with a fabric belt, <laughs> tie, it, tie it as tight or as loose you want to, get some tea or coffee, 
while the sun rises and and like the crew when they wake up from hypersleep. Yeah, I'm having tea right now. As a matter of fact, we got labeled. I don't know if someone labeled us or we called ourselves an easy listening podcast, but whatever it is, it's stuck. And and so we do the world's only easy listening podcast about the world's worst things, horror slashing death and parasitic <sighs> alien creatures. Do you think though, I, I think now that I think about it, out of all the previous, this is the first franchise that opens cozy, fully cozy for a really long time. Friday right. 13th has four minutes of coziness when they're sitting around the campfire and then they go up to neck. Yeah. That's pretty cozy. It's real cozy. But even Halloween, they're standing outside the house. He's looking inside at his sister making out. That's not cozy. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And with pretty quickly, she's killed. Yeah. And then Nightmare on Elm Street, forget about it. Yeah. I mean, the only thing cozy is he's got a fire going, but there's nothing else <laughs> cozy about that. You're right. These people are waking out of how we don't even know how many months they've been in. We know it's they're still- 10 months from Earth, but. Yeah. It's the warmest, most coziest nap that they are waking up from. It really like, is. I don't imagine it's like a bad groggy wake up nap. It's kind of like a restorative, right? Yeah. Even though it's interrupted. Well, I'm trying to remember in Aliens because we haven't watched that yet. And I haven't watched it in a year or two. Aren't they a little like, don't they have like cryo sickness? What am I thinking of where some movie there's like, they have cryo sickness. Oh, that like if you're in it and you wake up, you're you got a little bit of a uh, yeah, I could be in wrong. your eye. I can't remember, but you're so right. This starts off so cozy. Yeah, John Hurt even has like bedhead. Little John Hurt, he's so young looking in this, and that guy is. I don't mean this with no disrespect. Has always sort of looked old, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is the youngest, oldest. John Hurt has ever looked. Yeah, he's at he's at the 40-year mark like Brad Pitt in Benjamin Button, where he's neither old nor young, where his personality meets his physicality. <laughs> yes. The the our our favorite part of Benjamin Button. We've talked about this. As yeah. frequent listeners will know, we go on and on and on about how we love the midpoint of Benjamin Button because it's, it's perfect. Yeah, the 60 seconds where you think you're just watching a normal movie. <laughs> Did I tell you um, when I saw Benjamin Button in the theater? I think I might have told you this. They ran the um, the movie theater ran the like film strip. Remember the opening for theaters where it would be like a, a strip of film has a flashlight. He's walking down the thing, and then oh, he- Cl- Clippy at AMC theaters. I'm not yes. kidding. Yeah, his name's Clippy. Oh, his name is Clippy. Yeah. How does the clip art guy feel about that? <laughs> or the hair cutting mascot. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, Clippy, uh, the, the barber, the, <laughs> the spokesperson for all bar- the Barbers Association. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I don't know if that's on a separate projector, a separate reel, like they always oh. keep up because they're going to, I don't know. But it started running on the first five minutes of Benjamin Button. So when he's like, like over walking, the top of it, yeah, it was so weird. It was just this thing that we had just seen like 10 minutes before during the trailers. And it looked so weird because it was like baby Benjamin Button, like taking his first step, or old man, Benjamin Button. And then over that is like 
<laughs> clippy. What if it lined up perfectly? <laughs> like they actually did it correctly. This was like unlocking a cinematic key. Yeah, like fuck you, Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon. This is the real QAnon signifier that gets people to sleeper agents to wake and go do what they're doing. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> do you know I watched Benjamin Button for the first time like three nights ago? I'd never seen it. Whoa. Would yeah. you um I I liked it. I I you know we've talked about this in the past couple of years for some reason I'm just a sentimental mess. So I don't even know how much I liked it, but I just it just broke me down. I don't oh, know that's why good. anything if the, well, first of all, if there's like a, a young person ever suffering, I'm just mush, you know. Who's suffering? Oh, Benjamin? Well, yeah, Brad Pitt's character, I guess. It's, I mean, but he's so innocent and doesn't even seem to mind it. And that kills me even more. It's you guys little, came uh, here for Simon us to Birch. talk about this film, everyone. <laughs> yeah, Simon Birch. It's Owen Meany and Simon Birch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and you know, um, if if you do find yourself asking, hey, why are these guys talking about uh, yeah. how uh, old man Benjamin Button is like Simon Birch? <laughs> just know the 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 destination isn't the point; it's the journey along the way. Yeah, and that that journey can take up to and over three hours sometimes, and that is not something we are going to brag about. But it is also something we're not going to apologize for. There's plenty of tight and efficient podcasts, many of which Paul and I have been parts of. But this yes. one we've chosen as in line with the coziness to just just let it linger. You know, That's sometimes right. we might even take like 20 second pauses between words just to make it happen. And you might go, oh, my God, did my podcast just shut off? Yeah. And then you go, oh, no, 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 no. They were giving me... Much like when a record is, an old LP is flipped from side A to side B. It's a moment of contemplation. <laughs> That's our goal is to make this podcast have a side A and side B. It's so <laughs> damn long that even an MP3 file could not contain one half of it. Oh my gosh. We, yeah, let's make vinyls of all these. And just, if we have to fit them, we just make the records bigger. We could be <laughs> on like 33 and a third. <laughs> How big would a vinyl record have to be to house? What's our longest episode? Did we ever get into four hours? We've certainly gotten into three. Yeah. Um, I think like three and a half, maybe. I, I don't know how long. But yeah. Well, if you figure a record is usually, right. is it like 20 minutes on a side or something? I think so, yeah. So you're talking three. But the the farther you get out, the less... Um, circumference you would have to add because there's more surface area. So I'm just going to like quickly estimate this in my Please. head that it would be the diameter would be, I'm going to say three feet, <laughs> but smaller than I thought. I want to, I want like a 12 foot diameter. We'll put our whole canon of this podcast on one record. Yes. In a art gallery. Time. Like yeah. a, a installation, there'll be a wing that has a giant LP player that can fit. <laughs> we'll get it. We'll pick it up like some backstock from like some uh, Ant-Man movie where they needed a big <laughs> record player. Yeah. And we'll use uh, that and then we'll put our giant LP and then we'll let her, let her rip. Yep. I love it. Uh, I texted you before we started. I said, ready, ready to let her rip Lee. Yeah. In parentheses. 
Yeah, was it I, it was real good. It was I just wanted to let people know. Uh, but if you didn't, I was gonna. Uh, so it was the saying Ripley right now made me think of like, do you ever think it was weird? The Ridley Scott Ripley. Yeah. And that? her name wasn't originally Ripley because Dan O'Bannon had different names for everyone. Ooh. I forget. There's like a Faust and um, really Faust. Yeah. Yeah. Faust was the character name. Um, that was the only one. Had, they're like, giving him a choice to like, do you want um, Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> the character's like, ooh, I'll I sell my soul to have Pepsi over. Brilliant, there. that's it. <laughs> yeah, because and then most people probably know this, but Ripley wasn't even in, originally a woman. It was yes, a, yeah, yeah. So yeah, should we? talk about this so dan o'bannon um and uh uh ron uh what um uh not cobb the production center who, who am i uh, the, his co-writer oh right uh hold on uh rob oh lord uh it's this is where some real synasts are turning it off they go they go Sure, they know Danny's name, but they don't know Ronnie's last name. Are you talking about Ronald Shush Shusset? Yes, Shusset. Yeah, Shusset. <laughs> um, and then uh, David Glyer and Walter Hill rewrote it, and they're the ones who I think made the choice right to make Ripley, and that might even been eleventh hour choice of theirs. Yeah, and and was Ridley Scott involved in that decision at all? Am I remembering that wrong? I don't I think, think Ridley Scott was in it. I think by the time he got the script, um, and how can you trust me? I didn't know Shishit's last name. Uh, <laughs> I did. I, the production designer is Michael Seymour, too, by the way, just to the record. <laughs> We're getting off on the right foot. Um, uh, I think uh, Walter Hill and David Glyer had written it by the time that uh, Ridley Scott had read the script. It was. Yeah. Uh, and they must have named her Ripley, and it was just like, Kismet. That's probably what they did right before they were going to meet with him and go like, you know, we'll either he'll either take this subliminally or be really, you know. The previous draft, the character's name was uh, uh, Beaven Bielberg. (laughs) And our and our heroine steps in to the Nostromo, Janly Jubrick. (laughs) I like this Janly character. But I have to pass. I didn't like how the aliens was a xenomorph and not a deadly corf. I have to pass. <laughs> I was offended. Frankly, I was offended. Just like if I ever invent an iPhone, I'm not going to allow it to be used by them. And just when we were talking about sort of the big budget edu- uh, uh, execution of this, I think that's also, I, I think, notable in all this. Like Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shushit uh wrote it as like a low budget Roger Corman movie. Yeah. And then that they could maybe make. And then somehow Brandywine, which is R- Walter Hill's company, got a hold of it. And then I th- think, correct me if I'm wrong, uh I was gonna call you Gorley, but you know more. Correct me if I'm wrong, you know more. <laughs> that uh um 20th Century Fox has this huge hit with Star Wars. They want something that's sci-fi and they know that they own this property and they kind of 
it gets pushed forward because of that. And then yeah, I think that's attached. And yeah. yeah. And I think part of that had to do with apparently the budget got doubled when they saw the concept art too, and saw that they really had something here, I think. Well, you are, um, you know, way more about uh, Geiger, our boy who did all the concept. Uh, no, did he do that concept art that they saw or did he come on later? I I would assume, I, I don't know, to be honest. I, I only know that what he originally did was a little bit more grotesque and sexual. And they had to, I think, get a little bit more away from the just all phallic and vaginal imagery so that Giger was so into for some reason. When Giger had his big uh, giveaway sale, it was uh, all vaginal. <laughs> must go. All, all genital must go. <laughs> now, oh, what man. did you, if, in case people don't know, you do uh, a killer Geiger impression. Well, I can't even say it's a killer impression because it's just so bastardized at this point. But it was like, I guess, 10 years ago. When Remember when these Blu-rays came out and they had all this great like special feature material? Yeah. And my brand, friend, my Brandon, my friend Brandon and I, <laughs> my Brandon that I own, I own three Brandons. Um, we were watching and watching the special features and there was something about the way Giger said dinosaur and he was just throwing in syllables like he just didn't give a damn. And, <laughs> into, into a three syllable yeah, word. Yeah. So, you know, like how Australians say the word no, like no, they get like <laughs> eight diphthong syllables in there anyway. But he, he was saying something about like, and it uh, protrude like a dinosaur. And when the egg will ovulate and come out into a sack lunch or something, whatever. Anyway, I didn't even know what I was doing. And we did it on Super Ego and then it just took a life of its own. So much to say, so much so that when Giger died, I've never received more online correspondence in my entire life of like, it turns out that I was the de facto like keeper of Giger sentiment i don't know what oh yes for me and i felt like i felt pressure to make a statement it was that much or like matt are you okay what are you gonna what are you gonna say it was it was <gasps> so funny and i you know other than just doing an impression of him i know very little about him but i do love him and then eventually amanda and i went to switzerland and i went to the giger museum in gruyere switzerland and that was incredible i remember those car. pictures on your uh, instagram what was yeah. it so a, a big uh, a big facility there or well it's it's funny because gruyere is you know that's where the cheese comes from and so this whole <laughs> little village is a, a village a quaint like storybook village with a little like it's like a hilltop cobblestone village and then giger's museum is just smack in the middle of that oh. and all like a beauty and the beast building and then you go inside and it's completely different and then the bar is kind of across a little just a little cobblestone street and that is like this gothic stone cathedral of all these Giger rib cages and cryo tubes and all this stuff. And they serve like glowing green drinks. Oh, really? It's incredible. And they've talked about building one in the States. I know that was going to happen for a while. I don't know about now, but it was, it was really something to go. Is with. it appetizing to be like, I, I feel like his <laughs> imagery is kind of made. And in case nobody knows, his, like, his imagery is basically like 
what if my pipe was a butt or something? <laughs> yeah, well, I think he starts every painting with, how, how can I penetrate this woman with something sharp more than I did the last painting, basically? <laughs> That's his... On his uh, uh, dream board, his yeah. vision board. He puts yeah. that up. Before and yet, in any interview, he's a little creepy, but there's something about him that's almost kind of childlike and innocent. Yes. At least my version of him is that. So he's more like, oh, how are you doing? You look so great today. So nice to be here. You know, like, <laughs> I want him to be this kind of like a Benjamin Button, just a sweetheart, you know? And yeah, I think he, he might have been. Right, no, when you see him, he doesn't look like Leatherface. He's not like a <laughs> goo. Like, he's kind of looks like a friendly DeVito-esque character. Yeah, in his later years, he looked a little more friendly because his hair got white. Back in those alien days, he's got dark hair. And he's a little... Ooh. Because also, you know, I mean, his subject Devilish. matter is... And, and knowing, too, that, you know, I've read some things about how he had a real let's say complicated relationship with his mother. I don't mean anything sinister necessarily, but I do believe that he would either like run his paintings by his mother or his wife, Carmen Maria Sheffala Giger and, <laughs> and get their approval before he'd kind of like either continue or release. I may be telling tales out of school, but that's oh. what I remember. Well, yeah. Like be like, what do you think of this mother? Or like, can, can this pass? Does it have your approval? No. Oh, wow. I don't know why she doesn't have a Swiss accent, but <laughs> uh, you know, I, I guess like the the cheese village, <laughs> like also the heart of this like um, weird uh, art. And he's a very uh, talented, and Super skilled talented. artist. Yes, yeah. yes, sculptor yes. and artist. Yeah. Oh, sculptor too. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I guess I'd see the connection being like um, European folklore fairy tale stuff yeah, right like rims, I, yeah. yeah i guess like you usually walk through a village that makes cheese before you like go and see a <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely it really is and it's like just the nether side of these picturesque villages yeah i was reading um uh this guy walter merch who worked oh, yeah. for coppola and george lucas and stuff and he's maybe just has like the best perspective and way of talking about movies and how they work on people and stuff but he he did the only movie he directed was Re return to oz and he said you know he grew up loving the oz books and never thought about it this way he was saying what was so radical about those movies and or, or the books and they actually got the books banned because of this was it was the first time where you, they took somebody took americana and brought a European fairy tale witch. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, of course that's what that was doing. It's like Kansas. You couldn't yeah. have, like, it's the middle of America, and you just have that person get, like, dropped into crazy European folklore, this thing that probably connected a lot of people who live there. Um, anyway, I just had never thought about uh, Wizard of Oz being the first to kind of marry those two. Now it just seems so obvious to do that. That's fascinating because I just watched Mank and did a little reading up on Mankiewicz and learned that he's not credited, but but it's widely believed that for Wizard of Oz, he wrote just the Kansas scenes. Oh, I read that too. And he did like, a, it was like 45 pages of beautiful prose just about the family on the farm i would love to just see 
just that movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, we don't have to go down the uh, the Mank Road too much, but would you? Uh, I, I guess it it worked peripherally because David Fincher directed Alien Three, which we'll eventually talk about. Yeah. So, and, and we've talked about Benjamin Button, so already <laughs> we're well into the Fincher sphere. Uh, I liked it. I really enjoyed it. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. 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 I know um, there's some people that... out there that seem to have some issues with the like whether it's fact or fiction but it's just a movie to me you know? yeah that didn't bother me the fact and fiction stuff and i never let it really bother me and people who get hung up on it i think are dorks yeah uh, but I, I i love david fincher oh my god i'm obsessed but i i think it was probably it's funny you mentioned benjamin button i think both of those are like my two least favorites lesser yeah i wouldn't put them top tier myself but it is that thing of like a, the worst Fincher is still yep. better than the best uh, uh, G. I don't know. Yes, yeah. But you know and what oh I'm my learning gosh. too it is Mank, that... so much to love in Mank. Oh, yeah. Like the stuff, the quibbles I had about it, there is so much more that will be very nice to go back and revisit again and again and again. But what were you saying? I'm sorry. Well, man. I need to do a study because I find when I watch movies early in the morning especially, I love them and I don't even know if, I'm liking them for the right reasons. I don't know what it is. Amanda and I watched it early on a Sunday morning and it just felt like no one's going to bother you on a Sunday morning. You're just watching a new Hollywood feature motion picture on TV. And like I watched alien this morning and it's not like that movie needs any help, but it's just like, I'm finding. And I remember I saw rogue one in the theater at 8am on a Sunday once by myself. And I just was in heaven, you know? Well, a coffee with a movie is I think really nice. Like, And sometimes I would do that when I'd go to the theater, uh, uh, the movie theater, not the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I'd get a coffee and it was nice to have that wrapped up in the experience. But yeah, I've noticed just in my brain, something's flipped where I'm most um, open mm-hmm. to giving and receiving from the world yeah. uh, in the first few hours of the morning now. Like, yeah. and, and I don't know if that's something biochemically that happens to you as you age, because I do feel like that was something as a teenager I would experience looking at grownups and older people. I'd go like, their body can operate different in the morning. Like they're getting so much more done than I ever want to as a 20-year-old. Yeah. So I don't I know. know like that is. I'm entering that now, definitely, where I'm like 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. is like prime podcasting I'm, hours yeah. <laughs> yeah. i know I, I and i also fall asleep early at night now too i think part of that is the pandemic there's nothing to stay awake for so it's yeah. like i'm i'm living farmer's hours with the sun basically yeah oh yeah right i didn't think about it. i've been going to bed early since the beginning of pandemic too and yeah. uh it definitely doesn't help yeah when you uh look outside at 3 30 the sun is starting to set i know <laughs> And then wake up at 3.30 a.m. Just on a very, uh, uh, the most earnest moment we could possibly get to right now. Sunsets used to make me sad. I'd sit in a room Mm -hmm. and I'd watch the room get darker. And I'd be like, this is the most depressing feeling. My wife, Leslie, helped me flip a switch, which was um, looking at them as, um, for me, going like, it's actually like, oh, it's the one thing I can always count on, the sun going down and the sun coming up. 
it's reassuring that this is yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah. And think about it this way too. That son just gets to go to sleep. You're just letting ah! him go to sleep. We tuck him in with a glass of warm milk. Yep. <laughs> and then you wake him up the next morning with a glass of hot brown. Yeah. Do, what do you think the moon's doing during that time? He's partying on the other oh, side yeah. of the earth. Yeah. The moon's somehow managed to stock up a bunch of Zima and it's just <laughs> going to a glow stick rave. That's all the moon is, is a giant glow stick. And I've never had a Zima. <laughs> yeah, I think I did back in the day. I mean, I was probably in college when those were out, I think. Yeah. Did you get crunked? <laughs> I, you know what I never had was a four loco. Oh, I, yeah, until they got banned. Yeah. And yeah. they got banned. I was, th this was described to me, I think, in January 2020, before the pandemic started. Somebody described it to me. They banned four locos because they were like, it basically, um, your brain is caffeinated telling you, well, when you get drunk, you already have confidence to think you can get behind the wheel of a car. The one thing that's maybe keeping you from doing it is like your brain's all slow and messed up. Before Loco was like, no, 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 no. This caffeine's going to tell you, you're right on, brother. You get behind the wheel of that car. And oh so I God. think it was like just there was a huge uh, jump in um, DUIs and stuff. People with Four oh Loco. Oh, my God. Wow. That might be lore, but sounds about right. Yeah, I'm in. Sounds like why they would want to not make sure people don't drink Four Locos. <laughs> well, speaking of lore, should we go back... Yes. And talk about our first exposure <gasps> to alien or memories of it. Because... Yes. Go ahead. No, no, you, you go first. I, I just, I love this portion of a show. Yeah, me too. Cause I'm, I'm trying to remember. I don't have a conk, like, you know, Halloween was a concrete first experience with me. For some reason, my first memory of alien is actually, I lived a block away from something called the Whitwood mall, which was our mall. And one of, the two anchor stores were like, there's a JC Penney and a department store that's not around anymore called Broadway. And <gasps> they, back then department stores, of course, had toy departments, but Broadway seemed to be early in the like trend of getting rid of their toy department. So it was relegated to the third floor back. And I've said this about Vicky's Toy Town before, like the lights were dim, but the lights were dim in this place too. And I'm what wondering, is, is like, on? is this all bastardized in my memory? I don't know, but there was all these just kind of like seeming like like half opened like motley crew of and the xenomorph 12 inch like doll action figure was there and i remember just like looking at it kind of going like it felt like um sinful because i was like i know i want that but i shouldn't want that whoa yes yeah and then that i think made me interested in the movie but i don't remember the first time i saw alien i feel like i remember my mom watching it on cable aliens was more the formative experience for, for me where i saw it in the theater and became super into it like a comic book because of the like military character so alien was always a little more elusive and i knew it was scary but i was I was definitely aware, like I was aware of Sigourney Weaver as an actress and her role as the, like the final girl before I even knew what that term was. And it just, it was just all, Alien was just kind of always there for me, even though I remember it coming out. I also remember it, like the campaign of it. It came out oh, when I do? was, I was six. So I do remember like the posters and stuff like that. Yeah. Because those, I mean, the poster, the trailer, the TV ads that are, you can see all online are legendary yeah 
Yeah. I mean, in space, no one can hear you scream. That's like, was already legendary before the movie came out. If you just saw that tagline, you'd be like, hey, the movie could suck and this tagline will like live on forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And I remember learning who Yafet Koto was because of this movie, because when I was young and saw Live and Let Die, I went, oh, that's Yafet Koto from Alien. I don't know why. So, oh, yeah. So Yafet Koto came after, Bond came after your exposure to him as somebody in Alien. Yeah, the movie wow. came before, but I don't think I was exposed to Live and Let Die until after Alien. Um, and what was I going to ask you? I was going to, um, I, I like the experience that your memory of it is like from a toy yeah. and that like it's sinisterness. Like you could get it from an object. You could feel it's like power. You didn't even need to see the movie or even know that it, what it associated with. And crazy that it was marketed to children too. Like we maybe talked about how there were Rambo toys, a Rambo cartoon, RoboCop toys and RoboCop cartoon. Yeah. And that were, these are all like violent movies. Toxic Avenger had toys and stuff. Police Academy had like cartoons and toys, even though the first one has like TNA yeah. and stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, um, uh, I, I've seen that toy before online and it is like crazy. It's like. Uh, it is, but it's also like really unarticulate physically so it has the i think the protruding it's like second mouth but mm -hmm. i feel like the arms and legs are just like a barbie doll where they move just you know stiff <laughs> stiff jointed elbows and stuff yeah because when i a, think of alien he's always like crouched and bent and you know we had a stripe from gremlins doll that was like a, those when wire frame with the rubber over it oh yeah so you could bend the arms but if you bent the arm too much doing like a wire frame starts coming out yeah. of right's elbow yeah <laughs> and the like rubber would decay and start to separate and stuff. yeah and then you need a an explanation in universe for why this is happening to stripe <laughs> i had a titanium pin in put in after i triple fracture my mom told me i don't remember this i she overheard me once playing like with go, my ghostbusters like action figures and i think i only had two and a bunch of ghosts like two ghostbusters and they like, I think I had like Ray and um, Egon, <laughs> just like, and I came up and my mom overheard me, like the ghost asking the Ghostbusters where the other Ghostbusters are <laughs> and me explaining that they were like sick and they couldn't make it. <laughs> it's like the time I saw the A-Team stunt show at University, Universal Studios and they, there was only two of them and they- um, What? I've told, haven't I told you this where Hannibal and BA come out of the van and Hannibal excuses himself and the same actor comes back as Murdoch and Murdoch and they never mention face. Wait, this was built in always? This wasn't no, like to make up was for one day? this was at the end of its run and it was raining. So clearly like they were cutting <laughs> yeah. Why would they could have so funny they have this insane sitcom level backup plan of having somebody <laughs> play instead of just canceling it uh, we'll so risk. what was your experience with alien oh oh my gosh well now that i'm gonna tell two stories in a row about my mom i'm gonna sound like a real hr giger here oh man this guy can't get enough i it was uh uh funnily enough it was through space balls like Spaceballs has a spoof right. at the end. Yeah. And I remember sitting in the theater watching Spaceballs. That John Hurt is in, right? Yeah. yeah. John Hurt like re reprises. 
And there's a connection there, which I think he played the Elephant Man, which was produced by Brooks Films. So Mel oh, Brooks right. was basically calling up a favor from the old Elephant Man. Ah, yeah. Uh, and uh, um, oh, in that diner scene, by the way, in the parking lot outside, there's a Millennium Falcon parked uh, outside that diner in Spaceballs. Oh, really? Yeah. So the crew from Alien is there, and seemingly like Han Solo would be too. Oh, I never, I haven't seen that movie in years. Oh, it, as a Star Wars fan, uh, you should rewatch Spaceballs because George Lucas let him use ILM, let him oh. use all the sound effects. It looks gorgeous. It looks like a Star Wars movie. And the only um, stipulation, I think George Lucas was a big fan of Mel Brooks. It was just like, you can use everything. You just can't do um, action figures of Spaceballs because then people wouldn't be able to, market-wise tell the difference between star wars toys and spaceballs toys but <laughs> outside of that feel free oh, so he got like ilm's team and stuff you could there's no way you could tell the difference between joan rivers c-3po and anthony daniels <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so yes i was sitting in the theater i was watching spaceballs and uh uh john hurt like starts like um going oh 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 and then uh, there's a really funny joke where somebody goes, get this guy some Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom covered my uh, eyes. Because she knew. She, she knew that it was going to be some alien spoof. And I think she removed her hand by the time I was seeing the alien, like, sing Hello, My Baby. <laughs> so I... I knew something crazy happened with his chest or, or something happened with him and his body and then saw this alien appear after that uh, and knew what the alien, I guess, essentially looked like, the baby one. But uh, yeah, and then it's so funny, much like you, Gorley, then I don't really, there, there's a big gap. It's just- And then I'm watching like Alien at some point, yeah. It's funny that Spaceballs ruins, it spoils Alien- and the Michigan J Frog cartoon. I think I did. I loved Looney Tunes as a kid, but it did spoil Michigan J Frog. Like it, it came first for me. That's funny. So, do you have any recollection of the first time you saw Alien? Um, yeah, it's no. I, I think it was like, uh, probably seventh, eighth grade, early high school with friends. Yeah, we're, we're now allowed to get in a car or go some to a video store and rent an R-rated movie on our own. And now we're renting the awesome genre stuff that we've been wanting to see for so long. Um, and I didn't have HBO, so I don't, there wasn't a hope of that. Yeah. Um, I'm sure but, both of our first experience with this movie was on VHS and like not seeing the full scope quality. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know. I, you know, I saw something with pan and scan a couple of days ago. Um, you know, the you know the thing when on a video when they can't fit the whole thing, so they yeah. choose that and they do this kind of weird. Because you've been I, watching on VHS a lot. Oh of yeah, stuff. it wasn't yeah. that though. It was like oh. something that was on TV that was like in weird pan and scan for some reason. But I had when I saw it, I had such a nostalgic connection to it, and mm. I was like, I wonder if any savvy filmmaker would shoot something with film, with big lenses, and then add pan and scan afterwards just to give it like some boost of nostalgia for 10 people in the audience. Uh, I bet, I bet like the, whatever the like next generation's Quentin Tarantino is, rather than a yeah. crash zoom, they'll do a pan and scan or something, you know? 
the last scene of the last seasons of Stranger season of Stranger Things should be shot <laughs> put on VHS quality and then with pan and scan. That'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like it wasn't until college then before I saw this in widescreen. So I didn't have the experience, neither of us did, that people did sitting in a theater. Yeah, and it took me seeing aliens getting super into it with my friend Matt Russell in middle school and like drawing the xenomorph all the time to really go back and appreciate alien. Yeah. I mean it, the it it is like a little bit like um the chestburster scene or whatever before I saw the movie it it's a little like the horse head and the godfather or something it's yeah it's like this lurid thing you didn't even have to see you just it's kind of talked about as a reference and sometimes it could be really dark like sophie's choice as a reference or like um deliverance is just like a joke though i'm gonna make you squeal like a pig and you hear it in the zeitgeist or whatever and then you see it you're like that is crazy people were just joking about this it does make me want to like you just rattled off a bunch of them but those moments in like cinema history that are what would you call them like shock moments or like got yeah. word of mouth moments so the chest bursting the um i think probably um regan's head turning around in yeah. the exorcist what did you just say also oh, and her like insane you'd hear references about her crazy crucifixion crucifix scene yeah and it kind of robs its power of it because it's a joke and then when you see it it still packs such a punch you're sort of like you're like oh my gosh i was listening to the weird al version of a talking head song before i actually heard talking heads (laughs) yeah yeah and then deliverance you're right what was the other one you listed uh Uh, oh deliver no deliverance um I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, the listener can rewind the tape. Yeah. I would put like something about Mary's hair gel in there. I remember when people started just referencing that easily on a magazine cover, being like, so we're all okay with just hush hush cum jokes now. <laughs> Stealth cum jokes. I have a whole theory though why I think there's something about Mary was able to do that. Why? It came after the whole Clinton thing. And I think it was a way for people to like work out cum (laughs) in their minds. But he had Stifler drinking it and American Pie after that. It was a no. Oh, that was another moment. American Pie too. Yeah. Oh, right. Like wink, wink. Have you seen the movie? Yeah. That has to be such a powerful word of mouth thing, particularly alien, because if it's like, People, I bet, would be good about not spoiling the surprise if they knew they wanted it to pack a punch, right? Yeah. So you go, oh, you got to see Alien. There's a scene. I'm not going to tell you what it is. And then people just start going, I'm, I'm talking about maybe the first 18 months of the movie when people could go and see it. Yeah. You know? But like, I did, I wasn't, when I was watching it, I was trying to think of the people who were seeing it for the first time um, and what, the ride was like through the whole movie when you were watching it. It must have um, been incredible because it's such a slow build to that. That Yeah. You know. Well, and what you were saying about the cozy when you were watching it waking up this morning, uh, 
if the first 20 minutes of a movie is maybe like my favorite or second favorite part of a movie, it's really easy for me to rewatch it. Like mm. I love the beginning of the shining and sometimes I'll just end up watching all the shining just cause I got sucked in watching the first like job interview part that I love. Yeah. But I love the like alien waking up uh, a portion that's like, Oh, Oh, uh, b- before that, just you talking about aliens. Um, so what was your experience then being a lover of aliens and then going and watching alien then like you obviously had the creature in mind, what it looked like and stuff, but um, was it like a letdown in all honesty? Cause a- alien. Oh, to when you went from aliens to you're like, I loved aliens. And then you yeah. watch alien. You're like, Oh, it's different. Right. It wasn't a letdown in at all, but I, I wanted to watch, I always wanted to watch aliens more than alien. And I think mm-hmm. I, it took me a, quite a while to appreciate Alien with mm-hmm. some distance. But, you know, imagine a guy in middle school who loves yeah. war movies and Aliens is just like, just the tastiest meal ever. I always liked Alien and I think I would go there when I wanted more of a fix. But uh, yeah, Aliens was always my jam and may, maybe even still is, even though I love, couldn't love this movie more, you know? Yeah, well, you're. I, I, I'm excited to be guided by your love of aliens. I love aliens so so much. I love aliens so 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 much. The first one, yeah. um, so much so that I love Alien Three just because it tries to have the vibe of the first Alien that I like. <laughs> I like Alien Three too. Yeah. Yeah. So a uh, divisive uh, one, but I, the Aliens is like a for what it it's like it isn't like a perfect movie and uh, yeah and i think i like maybe like alien more every time i see it i think today i liked it even more just i like it i love it and i love it each time i watch it again it's it's a really it's one of the rare movies that does that i don't know what it is i think because maybe as we talk more about it there are just such great purposeful gaps of information yeah that i think your brain just gets to so it's like a stanley kubrick movie or whatever it's just when somebody allows your brain or a tarantino like doesn't give you everything you just have like this like kind of like a connection like with a a friend or a lover where you're like i have intimate (laughs) thoughts about this thing that you know so i don't know i think that makes me fall in love with it each time I agree. And I, I'm thinking maybe it's time to dive into the movie. Do we want to take a pee break and do we need to brainstorm a name? Yeah. Do we have to christen a, a, I mean, a, the, a pee name? The so previously comes to mind right it was away. Pee no more. Yes. Because I, I peed so much that I will pee no more. Now, I, that just seems like a no brainer to me. I, I might have even seen that written because i think some people in discord were brainstorming so i'm not meaning to steal it but i think i also felt like that yeah i love it because it's also like what you're saying i guess you were saying this it's like what you're saying about your bladder afterwards yeah but what else could there be um no no streamo <laughs> oh the ship that, yes <laughs> By the way, if you're a first-time listener, we name our pee breaks and we take them regularly. Well, <laughs> to give credit where credit's due, it began with uh, your 
great podcast, James Bonding, came up with the Walter PPK. Yeah, PPK. Can I go PPK? Named after James Bond's gun. Yeah. And then we with we did Jason Voorhees chasing more peas. <laughs> yeah. And then not oh. P-E-E-S, not P-E-A-S. Even no. though peas are round and you can chase after them sometimes <laughs> to get away on your plate. Uh, and then the Michael Myers one is a real stretch. I don't even remember how to describe oh, it. Oh, you mean where I would go, uh, hey, I have to go to the bathroom, so I'm going to go home and use my toilet. Psych, I'll try yours. Classic. Michael, Michael Myers, psych, I'll try yours. Classic. Yeah, maybe we just get back to basics with P no more. Freddy Krueger. Oh, yeah. kind of bounced back and forth. It never really solidified so they can't all be winners and that was ready wait well oh stream stream master we landed on stream master which was good but ready for ready to purr yeah listen we were working some things out we were (laughs) and we really needed to pee so we you know we weren't in top form so maybe yes pee no more yeah pee no more we'll take a pee no more break and we'll be right back with Morley and Rust. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. All right, we're back and we're ready at uh, some many minutes in to dive into this film in detail. Uh, how was your first pee no more? It was great. Um, I, I did have a chest burster burst out of my chest. <laughs> I was going to say something more gross, but I didn't want to go full Giger. <laughs> was that a euphemism for poop? <laughs> You don't have an answer to that. We'll let the oh, let I the, didn't know. Viewers of Alien, we'll leave some gaps so people can fill them in. And no, it. it was something about the phallic imagery of a Giger art or something. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> Much like my uh, my junior year of college, I took this intermediate class, and the teacher always thought everything looked phallic. Mm. He'd be like, "A lot of phallic imagery in this." I'm like. <laughs> It's a square, sir. It's just a red square. It could be like a Georgia uh, 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 O'Keeffe painting. There's There's a lot of phallic imagery in this. (laughs) Because it makes me think of how a penis might go into that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, with that, (laughs) 
Because I think, uh, uh, I don't know, without Georgia O'Keefe, maybe we wouldn't have a lot of the imagery of Alien. I know, because uh, she's so like colorful and pastel and bright. And Giger is like certain similar graphic imagery, but different tone and colors. He's like Shadow O'Keefe, Giger's Shadow O'Keefe. Yes, yes. Are you familiar <laughs> with a familiar? You know those? Oh, like a term, the term my familiar, like a little animal for a witch, yeah, 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 yeah. My buddy Neil Campbell told me about that many years ago, and it cracks me up. So I know. Has, a little, has their own familiar. Yeah, I feel like my cat Margo is my familiar. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, I'd love. Yeah. I'd like actually a little baby xenomorph to be my familiar. Oh, now would it be a baby like adult xenomorph or like a chestburster that or face hugger that sits on your shoulder or whatever it'd be a chestburster that sits on my shoulder oh that would be adorable but although um a junior-sized version of an adult xenomorph <laughs> i need to think about too which i think lie. you could engineer because like this has not been introduced into the alien mythology yet but will with alien 3 if if a face hugger were to implant on like either like oh right a, a little person or something or even more like is there anything that small a, animal a that, yeah like a little yeah like a monkey basically mm -hmm. then a monkey xenomorph would burst out and be a little i would assume a little just what you want <laughs> <laughs> yeah alien three is the the first time they yeah they go dna kind of gets spliced together because there's like a dog one right or a, yeah a, yeah yeah, it's dog. Originally, it was like an ox, but then they changed yeah. it to a dog. But it does make you think because you see the space jockey in this film. Most of you probably know that, but that's the the alien creature sitting in that giant telescope gun that they find in that derelict ship. But what would the xenomorph that came out of that thing look like? I know we kind of get that later in Prometheus, but I always assume like that stuff doesn't exist, even though it's a prequel until. Like yeah. that was never part of this conception. What would that xenomorph bursting out of that space jockey have looked like? It would have been huge. Yeah, you're right. That's cool. I mean, that was part of the gaps that I was thinking about. If the first somebody just saw this on opening night and then went home and was thinking about it, your mind would kind of be racing about like, so the ship looked like a body, but the alien kind of looked like a ship. It's so, I think, because it's so like, um, what's the word I'm uh, trying to think? Not primordial, primal. Uh, mm. It just makes sense when you're looking at it. But oh. if you think about it, it is kind of like this weird concept to get around. And I think the space jockey's like the the peak of that. Because you're yeah. looking at it and you're kind of going like, it's half machine, half creature. Help explain that to me. Because I'm still a little like, why is the space jockey... He's not a xenomorph. He's just connected to this kind of like ship that controls a ship or, or a panel, control panel. Well, that's what's so brilliant about this first movie in particular is, is that it's just, it's like tactile and clear enough visually to go that feels real, uh. but alien enough for you to not know why or what it is. And that's, <laughs> that's so brilliant about it. That's awesome. And I think they say, don't they say something when they find him there saying like he's fused with the ship or something like that. Yeah. And you don't know if that's like the space jockeys technology or 
the fact that this has become a hive colony for the parasite xenomorph, which also in this first movie, and you look at like renderings or actually like the actual suit of the alien, and there are almost like biomechanical parts to it <laughs> go away by the second movie. The second movie, it's all like hive the anything cylindrical and tubular is more like bone structure or like exoskeleton where it, because they're going off Giger's stuff, his stuff was so heavily biomechanical. I think there's sure. still a little of that held over in this first alien film, but it's not clear what's what. And it's so brilliant because the xenomorphs able to like exist so perfectly hidden within the ship too. As right. Like camouflage. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah do also, you, go ahead. It also, leads me to believe that whatever burst out of that space jockey was a queen to lay all those eggs. And I did read something where they had like put right. together a quick backstory of how the space jockeys, um, this is before the Prometheus storyline, but okay. that they basically had, they landed here. I forget what it was exactly, but they get a, like the facehugger attacks the space jockey it bursts the xenomorph and there's like a battle that ensues and they kill one and it its acid bleeds through the hull of that derelict ship and it crashes and they've killed the xenomorph but that they basically the remaining engineers just starved to death and died there but oh. it doesn't explain the eggs they never explained the eggs or the queen you have to wait for james cameron to kind of come along and pick that up it's fascinating yeah and Right, so there were certain things that were answered about, it is very fascinating, that were answered about the the queen. Queen wasn't a terminology until aliens. Yeah, right? and I'm yeah. sure there's answers to this because there's a pretty like vibrant comics series or four based on this, but that's like that Star Wars legend stuff. I, I, anything kind of like answered in a companion comic book or something feels like secondary to me. It, it feels... Yeah. Where this is deliberately not answered feels so right where some of the stuff, part of the problem I have with Prometheus, there's parts of it I like, is there's stuff that's deliberately not answered out of convenience as opposed to um, mystery in this that works for me. Yeah. So well. I mean, it, doesn't it say a lot about that space jockey and it's like people wanting to hold on to its mysterious power that like Prometheus and Alien Covenant really never come close to getting to the space jockey entirely right like that oh they do you mean but it doesn't like show the space jockey sitting down in his control panel and a xenomorph popping out of him does it? oh no no it doesn't show that but you do see the space jockey sit in one of those they're called engineers in prometheus right yes he does sit and that's more of a we learn like a command cockpit or something it because it looks like it could be a telescope or a gun it's a projector of the stars and all this stuff and Uh yeah it's Um, kind of a way of like they answered that question with another question and that's what prometheus sometimes feels like but the question in this movie oh it just set my mind reeling as a kid in the best way you know yeah, because you're saying like when you look at the xenomorph, your your the question is sort of like, well, your question you mean is also like, where did he come from? What's that all about? But like you mean, looking at the xenomorph, you have to kind of go, what is part space jockey? Like, what is his DNA? Maybe. Yeah. Or were you not meaning that? Like, no. Well, whatever whatever burst through that space jockey, and then made the acid hole in the floor that they show there would have been mm-hmm. a different xenomorph than what we see in this movie 
No, right. like the, that's um, true. That's true. Yeah. The space jockeys are kind of humanoid. It looks like, so they probably would have been similar, but I think it would have been a lot bigger. Oh yes, yes, yes. That's right. Cause remember um, the alien three xenomorph is smaller cause it comes out of a dog. Right. And it can run on all fours. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's brown, okay. I think too. Yeah. Maybe that's just the, uh, color timing of it the overall movie is yeah has that grunge yeah uh yeah so um well thank you you'll you will be my help with this stuff because i i gotta admit like my uh understanding of like um a lot of i'll just the plot is is not my strong suit like oh, wow. so many of these movies i just experience as like I just remember like Brett picking up the weird like skin of the face hugger and I don't question it. I'm like, Oh, the, that skin is gross. <laughs> no, that's the way you should watch it. And I, I don't have, I don't have answers where there are not answers. And that's like, like I'll say it again, this movie puts them in all the right places. And that's what I love about it. Well put. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I guess, jumping in i did think like w what you said up top which is like this is a pretty much like flawless movie so a lot of my thoughts about it it is funny like most of the time when we talk about these movies go oh, how did it kind of go astray or when is it working and when it like with this <laughs> it's just like all my thoughts are like that's so cool I know. That, that's all, those chains with water on it that's so cool when, when I finished this, I, I was watching with my headphones because I was up before Amanda and I, she was up and I finished and I just went, God, this movie's so good. And she goes, is this going to make your podcast worse? <laughs> uh, don't worry. There's plenty to gripe about. Yeah, a couple yeah. Oh yeah. You get it all in this franchise, but it uh, does. It looks so good from like from the opening titles in the first shot, the effects are almost flawless yeah yeah i uh i'm trying to think of one part where i go that's a little dodge oh you know what there's only one part that's at the very very end when sigourney weaver goes in to do the final controls before she hits like the surge thing uh-huh <laughs> they go outside and there's just like they use like a model of her and she's like walking through and it's oh. like a person with like a sketch comedy level curly <laughs> wig i didn't notice that it's the only like effect part that like pulls me out of the movie um wow which says a lot yeah it really does i i think the only time i didn't even get pulled out it's just when the xenomorph is getting blasted by the thrusters at the end just that you can kind of tell it's a miniature and that it's shot in that it's not quite fish shy. I don't know what that lens is. It's like Vaseline with like a vignette around the the edges or something. But I wasn't taken out. I was just taken out in the sense of, oh, uh, I love love watching this kind of filmmaking, you know? Yeah. I Yeah. I heard like Joe Dante once say like he was disappointed by the alien because he's like the movie up until the point that you see him is so different from anything you've ever seen. And he was like, when he shows up, the fact that it's like a, you can tell it's a guy in a suit is a little disappointing because you're like, I've watched so many sci-fi movies with guys in suits. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a fair criticism, but it is like, 
there are times where I guess I'm aware of it's 1979-ness when you don't get like the full wide shot of the like xenomorph standing yeah. in scale above Brett. I, I don't, I'm not even saying I want that. I don't because the movie is awesome. It's, it's perfect. But like there are just choices where you're just like, oh, they are just so close up on the alien's face. You have no idea what any other part of it looks like. And they probably, yeah, don't want you to see some guys like jeans coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I I think it's the best a man in a suit has ever looked in a Definitely. film. Maybe. Like Predator is pretty good too. But yeah. that they wanted to do animatronics with it because Ripley distinctively didn't want to do a man in a suit thing but then i oh. think they saw the actor balaji badejo or badejo um in a i want to say like a coffee shop or a pub he was a graphic designer and they just pulled him in to do it because he was like seven feet tall and super skinny and Whoa. that that really goes a long way in making it feel like even though it's a man in a suit it still feels otherworldly you know my favorite moment with the alien, the guy in the suit, my favorite choice is the when Dallas turns and he sees him and the light shines on him and uh, the alien basically does kind of like, hey, ya, baby. I know. He put, put out he, his hands. He goes, hi, yo. <laughs> Surprise. It's hilarious. I don't know what to make of that. It feels like the xenomorph himself is scared. Like, he got surprised. Oh, like a rat kind of getting like skittering in a corner. Yeah. You don't think it was like a Michael Myers sort of devilish trick? Like, I hope like, so. I'm going to wait until. I hope there. so. Gotcha. Uh, well, the opening, uh, you know, we talked about the, you mentioned Predator right now. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, um, when we did the Predator commentary, we talked about the 20th Century Fox logo and how. It's in my mind married to like science fiction with Star Wars and Planet of the Apes and uh, this and yeah and Independence Day and stuff. Um, but I noticed it doesn't get the full fanfare. Oh, I didn't notice that really. So it just goes the dun 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 and then it goes in the movie, and then some, not all movies get the. I don't know what the difference is. So much so that I thought that was part of the Star Wars score originally. Well, I think we talked about on the podcast maybe that John Williams put the Star Wars theme in the same key as the 20th Century Fox logo. So so I could see why you would think that then, because it sounds like it's all one piece. Yeah, I wonder why that is. That's crazy. In kind of a funny dark side flip side to that in Alien 3 the logo goes, it gets messed with. It's like, that's like, they didn't they do for Cannonball Run? Yes. Um, the little cars zip around the logo? <laughs> yep. Oh, they were getting crazy in the 80s and 90s there. It was anything goes. Good Coke. <laughs> <laughs> they should have done for Die Hard that it just blows up on the top. Of <laughs> yeah, you see like John McClane. I mean, I imagine that 20th Century Fox logo is maybe, there's a city around it. Maybe the Nakatomi Plaza is right next to it. Yeah. You could just yeah. jump from that building onto the <laughs> Fox logo. <laughs> but even the opening titles on this thing the way they just like we were talking about coming over time 
and it's so yeah when they it feels like it's i mean evocative of the whole movie right this kind of like slow burn and things slowly kind of come to your you're like oh i'm recognizing where this is all going it's like the same with the logo you're like if you weren't paying attention you just kind of see this these words alien and the fact it's so classy how the other credits run underneath it yeah. it's not even just like it gets the full screen and alien slowly emerges it's like it's so like art student-ish yeah but in the best way oh yeah that, yeah you've got that jerry goldsmith score the score is interesting because i never my whole life could like whistle an alien no. theme to you it's not echoic as you would have said in the <laughs> original part of this podcast but like you know halloween especially and then friday the 13th and nightmare they have distinct themes where this it just doesn't it's atmosphere music and it's decidedly so and it's You're fascinating right. yeah yeah when i i did think like of all of the this movie feels so not hollywood and so jerry goldsmith's name and score feel like i love them but they don't feel like ridley scott necessarily to me it feels like a i don't want to say like a concession or something it was just like the fact that he never worked with jerry oh no 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 with um legend he did oh he did yeah um but uh yeah the um i was thinking the same thing that it's like the alien franchise doesn't have any sort of whistable like theme or even kind of like i mean aliens has that very last like dun, 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 yeah you know but that's not anything you whistle when you're driving your car even no, if and you really can, you gotta know that's coming straight from cameron because it's like t2 and yeah know. uh but um i wonder if yeah like i guess you were saying it's sort of like atmosphere is like the more of the i mean overall i think this probably the atmosphere of this might be my favorite atmosphere of like a thriller or a scary movie and so maybe a theme that's like to um john williamsy like goes against the like it'd be too comforting or something i don't know yeah i think you're right i can't imagine a melodic score for this the, the world's too gritty and too real you know, it works well for Star Wars, which is fantasy and even horror to make a scary theme works, but making a deliberately scary theme for this doesn't feel appropriate either. You know, just the way it looks and the way right. it's so real. All the, the the opening scene where all the characters are just kind of talking to each other and you're learning their characters and dynamics so subtly, but so clearly and the pecking order and the respect levels that go back and forth, but it's not melodramatic or over, you know, done. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, outside of the, like, just like mastery of like the visuals and like atmosphere the I think probably like the biggest master stroke of this movie that like puts a, above most genre stuff is just like, yeah, that like naturalistic acting is amazing. And it's just like, um it's so 70s out that first one you're talking about when they're all waking up and they start talking because it's like overlapping dialogue 
with a bunch of shaggy haired people. But it's like kind of like semi handheld and the stuff surrounding them is kind of like scuffed up and dirty. The way they like gripe to each other and like complain, it's just like every job you've ever worked with a group of people. I know. It's almost like um, they went a little further than like Star Wars because obviously Star Wars like people loved about it. It's just like, oh, everything seems used up and it's like beat up future. But the characters still kind of ha- in Star Wars have this kind of like fantasy pop sort of level yeah. that's awesome. But in Alien, it does feel like a... I'm not, everybody's said this, not the first point, but they're like truckers. It just feels like truckers in space. Yeah, it's a real class divide too. And the status is so clear with Parker and Brett. I think maybe even Lambert are just the low level workers. And then Dallas and Ripley are kind of have the high status rank. And then you've got the like, you don't know what Ash's deal is other than he's a science guy for now, but he does seem a, a something apart from them too. You bringing up the class thing just it, it brings up the you know when you were talking about um how ripley was not initially they were all male and then they decided to make ripley female mm-hmm. i was thinking the scene with her and that her first real scene with parker and brett and they're, he's playing that trick with the steam oh yeah it's so good yeah i was thinking like oh your class thing actually helps me answer it because i was like oh i guess that's what it would I was like, what was this scene before they made Ripley a woman? Because it does kind of go, there's still antagonism there. Yeah. It's like, Brett, and I guess it is like, you're the science professional, we're the grunts. Yeah. But by making her female, by making turning Ripley female and having Sigourney Weaver play her, the fact that her first real scene is like 20 minutes into the movie and it's like, having two guys kind of like fuck with her just like yeah. has a completely different impact. I think than if it, if it had been like a uh, William hurt in the whole, <laughs> you know? I know <laughs> it's so interesting that she doesn't come in for quite a while. And then really her, in the first act of this movie, she's actually not quite um, like the hero you think you want because she's really being a stickler about the quarantine turns out she's 100 percent right and especially in this time of quarantine she's like the <laughs> dr fauci and the rest are like <laughs> trump republicans or something but she's not entirely likable she's kind of officious and a status yeah. and you're also siding with parker and brett because you're learning that they only get half a share to everybody else's one chair or one to two or whatever it is. That's a big piece of it. You're right. That's yeah. like the sticking point between everybody. Yeah. And the like, well, and then also the, like, um, uh, we were saying about, um, um, how the, 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 there's different people between, um, um, that she's like a stickler and like, uh, would you say officious? Yeah, I guess yeah. Stickler's, If I, I don't know if I mean that. She is just like... No, I agree. Like, because, oh, this is what I was going to say with Sigourney Weaver was like, she was like, um, oh, uh, after Aliens, or even after the initial Alien, when people would write Ripley, she was like, they'd always write her as like a gym teacher or a gym coach, which was like, we got to get some fucking asses in here. You oh, know, yeah. move your asses. Yeah. And she was like, it was getting it wrong because what she really is is just like 
aloof. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. Yeah. And when I was watching this, I was like, that is makes her in some ways an anti-hero that by the end she's like telling Parker and um, Lambert to like go and do a bunch of like the real shit that needs to be done that in a normal movie, a hero would be like, you guys stay here. I got to go do this. She's telling them to go do that. And she's kind of like putzing around and getting a cat. (laughs) I know you're right. And I get the feeling that she's doing this quarantine, not because she's like, a by the book rules follower. It's because she's smart enough to know that this is actually the right thing to do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She's definitely seems like the smartest person. And like, I guess in true final girl fashion, the person who's the least kind of like entrenched in the group dynamics is the person who kind of has the catbird seat to sort of, yeah. see how the dynamics playing out and they they become the master of the game or whatever yeah. um like lori can or whatever um the final girl thing is interesting too because i was trying to think of it is it just like texas chainsaw by this point is like when they make the choice to be like oh it's gonna be more interesting if ripley at the end who's facing off with the alien as a woman and then the year before this is halloween which I don't think those two could have been on the, I'm just trying to think of what they're both pulling from. Did they, I mean, yeah. Lambert's on a hook later. So well, I, you're not kidding. Cause you've named what I understand to be all three of the source references for this film. And I think even maybe said so by Ridley Scott. And that was 2001. Maybe you didn't say that, but star Wars and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Whoa, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And you can see how it's all there in the DNA and, that thing about Ripley, that she doesn't do things by the book, she does it because it's right. And it, they show it the other way when she learns that the crew's expendable and she's going to buck convention and just say, fuck you to this whole mission. What's right is to save our lives. So she's like, she yeah. really does like illustrate her smarts the whole time. The common sense is the way to go. And a personal code, I guess, right? Yeah. Because it's sort yeah. of like... Um... My personal code, I don't want to get sick by whatever this guy, Lunkhead's bringing into the ship. Or bring it back to earth, like the needs of the many yeah. outweigh the needs of the few, even who knows. You know? Yeah, it's, it is really interesting, especially in this time of quarantine. There's nobody on her side. No, I know. Like even Parker um, and Brett don't go, hey, thanks for looking out for us. This is insane that they would be trying to bring in an alien on our ship when they could just have somebody else come out here later. Yeah, she's just got like, she's almost like a Vulcan in a way. She's kind of all logic. And then, but she still is like ethically and morally, right? She goes to save the cat. And isn't that where we literally get the screenwriting Uh, book, Save the Cat from this movie? Isn't that right? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if the, uh, I don't know where the origins of Save the Cat is. So that I'm sure that's it. I think, let me check. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah, and that is heroic that she... When oh, she goes she and does it. that, when she tells them to go do that, I actually really like it because it is like the anti-gym coach thing she's talking about, or gym teacher, or football coach. Like, she kind of, did you notice this? Like, she sort of like is weak and kind of goes, she's telling Parker what to do and he's like rolling his eyes. He doesn't want to be told like to have to go and do this stuff. And then she goes, then you guys come back and we, we just, we blow this fucker out of the sky. Yeah. And like, he, while she's saying that he's going, yeah, 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 yeah. Like he doesn't, 
I just thought it was such a cool choice. In any other dumb movie, that would be a close-up on Ripley going, we're going to mm. blow this fucker out of the sky. The fact that it's in a wide shot with yeah. three other characters <laughs> and she's having to like yell it over people who are dismissing her, uh, it's scarier and realer to me that that's like how it would be going down. <laughs> yeah, how much of this, I know it's not improvised necessarily dialogue wise, but it does have a kind of real feeling that they're just like, you know what you're supposed to say now, everybody just do the scene, let's yes. shoot it that way. Um, well, I, I know that moment where Parker's in the background, remember, and he's mumbling something. Yeah. And he goes, Parker. And then there's that kind of that weird pause where happens in real life when somebody like yells and then there's yeah. a bit of silence where it was okay so what are you going to say now that it's silent and then yeah. she has to think like well what am i going to say okay this i think that was a real it had to be moment yeah Koda is like in the background like mumbling and because apparently ridley scott told yeah Koda to kind of like give sigourney weaver a hard time between takes and kind of method it something he said he later regretted oh really yeah, by the way, save the cat, I think, just comes from the old convention of saving a cat from a tree that you should see your hero do something good like that. So I don't think it's from this movie. I don't know why I thought it was. Well, she saves a cat. I get That's it. That's true. Yeah. Jonesy. Does Jonesy Jonesy doesn't get a cryo sleep? Because in the beginning, Jonesy's not in one of those cryo chambers, which means you know, cats don't have super long lives. Huh. You might get back to Earth and find out you got a dead and dying cat or something. <laughs> How long were they in uh, into hydro sleep before? I they don't know because they had another awakened. ten months to get home. So I don't know. Uh, did I was wondering at the end because I couldn't tell. Is little Jonesy in the chamber with her at the end? I I think so because in part two he's yeah. in there with her, right? Oh, but I bet it, I might yeah. have been Mandela yeah. infecting yeah. it. I don't no, know if you I see remember him at the end of way. Alien. Now, I remember it too, but maybe I'm Mandela affecting it because everybody just wants the cat in there. Talk about cozy. Well, I want the, <laughs> I want the last shot to be a close-up of Sigourney Weaver's face the hydro, with a little kitty popping up behind it being like, <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> uh, Talk about nine lives, huh? Sigourney <laughs> Weaver in these series of films. <laughs> Wait till part four when you see nine versions of her in the same scene. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh uh yeah. Love um Oh oh when they wake up, you were talking about the Jonesy being there. But I liked how they kind of do this unconscious thing where you it's almost like the Janet Lee and Psycho thing where because you only see John Hurt wake up and get out, you your brain automatically makes him the hero. Right, I never thought about that, especially since they're given Ripley very little time up front to do much of anything. If anything, she's the like kind of antagonist. Yeah, like because yeah, you don't really get to see her emerge out of the. It's definitely wants it to be a surprise that she's yeah. the one who emerges by the end to be the. Yeah, which is different than I guess than like even Lori. It is more like Texas Chainsaw because Texas Chainsaw is like you meet the whole group all at once. And then a person emerges who's heroic. With Halloween, I think you're kind of primed from the beginning because you, you see Lori first, you see Michael see her. Yeah, and I think yeah. they 
casting Tom Skerritt was kind of meant to be a bit of a red herring too, which I think maybe even Harrison Ford was up for. I forget if that's real or not, but oh, but they clearly (laughs) were going for like, look over here at this guy, your hero, Zap. Here you go. Yeah, Skerritt is also right. He definitely seems like the person who's going to be the... And then obviously what's great about that is that when he dies, he feel, feels even more hopeless. When he gets uh, a surprise party, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> surprise, scare it. The xenomorph literally gives jazz hands. Scare you. <laughs> you think he said that? I bet. Scare it. You got it. <laughs> hey, uh, when Scarrett goes into that white mother room, mm. I want a hotel room of that. Oh, I do too. And I was listening on Talk headphones this morning. Uh-huh. Did you, I've never noticed this before. Mother breathes. There's a, like a, yep. I never noticed that. I didn't notice that last watching it for now, but last, last time I watched it, I remember thinking like, holy shit, there's breathing. Yeah. It's so good. It's, um, I mean, it's definitely, you know, the howl thing, but it's so, just the name too, mother. I mean, what works, I think so well motherboard and also just you know symbolically yeah well and i think the um speaking of how i think ash was originally going to be a computer computer oh. telling them right and then i think that was another choice by walter hill and david glyer to be no let's make him an actual person and then we can have a surprise that he's because they were like this is how he's like a spy who's sent from the company or 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 not a spy like a disruptor of some kind yeah you're right even it's so close already how it even is but to think of it just being a computer would be too much i think yeah i mean yafat kodo uh first of all i think he's our first two-timer in the our franchises having been in freddy's dead is that right is there anybody else who's a not counting freddy versus jason (laughs) Has there been any actors who have appeared in both franchises? There have, there has been one or two of those young actors that I think have crossed franchises, and I can't remember who or what. I remember we talked about how one of them was was in another one. Yeah, but this is definitely the most significant one for sure. Oh well, hats off to you, Kodo. Yeah, and in a Bond franchise, come on. Oh my gosh, that's a uh, like the bad guy and um, uh, who's the guy who uh, was a bad guy in Living Like Never Say Never? Oh, and is a bad guy in Star Wars, and then the that the big baddie in Last Crusade. Who's that actor? Oh yeah, um, Julian Glover. That's right. Yes, yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, he's that's right. He's in in Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Indiana Jones, James Bond. I mean, you don't need any more. That's oh boy, who's yeah. been in the most? That one guy who was like in Lord of the Rings and the Matrix. He had a nice little racket there for a while. Oh, Hugo Weaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is our, our our section of password where I describe <laughs> actors vaguely, and then Gorley's there to help me give an actual name. <laughs> or maybe it's less password and more elderly grandparent and hip grandchild now who's the kid in (laughs) um 
Oh, one thing that's cool about this is Ridley Scott is the camera operator because you can do yeah. that in England. And he had shot something like crazy, like 2000 commercials, literally, I think by that point. Oh, my God. And so he was the operator for all of those. Oh, wow. And when you watch those scenes, they do feel like one, I like the can the handle handiwork, but also just like the close-ups of the keyboard, like when Scarrett is like typing on it. Yeah. They look like a commercial the way an object is lit to look as beautiful as possible. It's not just this kind of like quick oh, we need fingers tapping on the thing. It looks like a Diet Coke commercial or something. <laughs> That's so right. I never realized that. And I don't think I could have even told you that this film was handheld because I wasn't even paying attention to it, you know, in the best way. It's key parts. And there's like parts like when they do that crazy crash landing on LV. Um, Four, yeah, yeah. There's the like it makes it seem like a documentary, like they're on a ship while it's crashing and like the smoke is coming out and they're getting fire extinguishers and stuff. But yeah, it's so um, good. Yeah. And also like the production design and the set design in this film. It's just Holy incredible. Moly. And it's like not even so incredibly built. Cause you know, that's the type of set. If you were to walk on it, you would just see all the glue and the seams and the paint but yeah. when it doesn't matter because when it's photographed, it all just looks so perfectly worn. And oh my God, that opening shot of the hallway that's like the kind of uh, just the empty shot of the it looks like, I mean, first of all, it's just like Ben, the most like bitten look in sci fi movie. I mean, yeah, more so than Star Wars in some way. I see way yeah. more direct to video ripoffs of Alien that are like, it's a spaceship that kind of looks junky inside because we can make it look junky. <laughs> yeah. Um, Did you watch the theatrical cut or the director's cut? Oh, I watched the uh, theatrical cut. Yeah, me too. I guess yeah. we probably should figure out going forward theatrically, we would probably do, right? Oh, right. And then maybe discuss whatever stuff is... is You, you know, if we wanted to... We could also do maybe this feels like a ripoff or something, but like a an additional episode that's just talking about the differences of versions. Yeah, all, or or we just do an alt version corner. Yeah, I don't know. Well, because this, I think Ridley Scott prefers the theatrical cut. He just kind of did it after they discovered more footage, and I think it's just a lot more gore and stuff. But Aliens has a ton of new material that wasn't in the theatrical and then there's the assembly cut of alien three which is as close as they think they can get to fincher's original vision so that one's fairly different i think yeah I yeah and then alien resurrection isn't uh gorley you're not gonna believe this a p no more oh sure whatever you like uh well i guess we're if we're going the alien sequels it's a p no mores it's the second one. <laughs> oh, and then if we go for a, a Pinot more small three. <laughs> That's Pinot pooping at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Uh, with and We're back. We are back. Um, uh, 
yeah so um i guess we're uh they're they're they where are you at right now with your thoughts i guess it is they've 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 done their big heavy duty landing that kind of like yeah and then we get into this world of this other world where they do that brilliant technique of building a set and putting the cinematographer's kids in the spacesuits to make it look even bigger yeah and i knew that but i've never looked closely but this was the first time i got up to the screen and looked in. <laughs> yeah. you see a kid's face you do i feel yes. like you could just see like kid walks even though like <laughs> a, an adult in a spacesuit that big feels like a kid walk it still feels like and i can't remember did the do they plan to do that from the beginning or did they look at it and go, it, it needs more dynamic scale? I think it was like, we'll get more scale or a yeah, bigger difference between the two if we have kids. And you're right, the one at the very end who's coming up the ladder, <laughs> it looks like an adult who's just like in a spacesuit and trying to get up, but it's more totally a little kid <laughs> trying to like get up to the kitchen table. Dad, dad. <laughs> I just came along because I, I didn't have a choice and you put me in this. The other effect thing, yeah, yeah. Daddy, you promised me a giant lolly. <laughs> Why didn't I try to get one of these kids when I was there too? What am I, crazy? Uh, you know what? I think it was actually Ridley Scott's sons. Oh, really? I read that it was the cinematographers. Oh, my have God. Have you met Ridley Scott's son? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What are those hats when when the kid wanted a giant lolly right now? I remember when that happened? Yeah, uh, <laughs> the little straw boaters. Yeah, that's yeah. what they are. With the ribbon hanging. Off <laughs> yes. Yes, like Sleepy Magoo in that old Daffy Duck one, where he puts the giant lollipop in his mouth and then twists it, and his whole head contorts. <laughs> yeah, and his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Is that straw boater hat? Is that a thing that kids really ever wore? I, I must have been like turn of the century or something. Yeah. I'm bummed out I missed out on that. I wish I lived that <laughs> during that time. It's not too late. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's like a new, we use our platform here to try to launch that as a new fad in oh. children's and adults fashion. God, wouldn't that be great? <sighs> uh, it'd definitely be becoming. <laughs> um, yeah, the... Um, oh, I do like um, when they first land, Ian Holm does that. Um, when you rewatch a part of the fun of rewatching Alien is is noticing how many times Ash is just so pulling the strings to get them to go where he wants to. Because there's a part where they're like, it's dark out. Maybe we should wait. Or no, it's too dark out. And he goes, you hear him go, well, the sun's going to come up in about 20 minutes. Yeah. He's it's like dad a, trying to get you in the car for vacation or something. Manipulative son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> but he also is like always kind of trying to help. Like I made you this motion detector that measures air density. And then later they're like, it's not working. And Ripley like kind of background goes air density. My something like that. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> yeah. I like the, she kind of asks of like, yeah, how does that work? He's like, <laughs> just it's the, if you've ever worked a job with a group of people who low level kind of hate each other, it's such a yeah. fun, dark comedy alien. Yeah. I've seen a guy have to like explain why the motion sensors work. Yeah. It's the original office basically. Oh. Do you think that's where Ricky Gervais was inspired? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
also I like his little run that he does before he gets in his chair. Ash. I don't he does remember. that little like Oh yeah, what what is that? There has to be a motivation behind that. Is he like getting his milk blood going? What is going on there? Well, I was thinking what I like about it is that it can go either way. If you think he's a human, it seems like a very kind of maybe like a before somebody sits down and they have to do something that they know is going to take some like focus, they just kind of get their blood going. Yeah. But it works on a robot level where you're like, yeah, maybe he needs his milk blood to start getting around, swishing around in his gears. It feels like that. It feels like he's going like, I'm switching into evil mode now. Or he's just like <laughs> excited, like my plan's working. <laughs> Mother's going to be so proud of me, mother. This is basically psycho when you think about it. <laughs> well, when you, uh, like all the franchises, they've all come from psycho in some way. Uh, yeah, do you think, kidding. We, haven't, we didn't watch the director's cut, so I guess there's a, maybe... We just don't remember it when he's running in place. You do hear him. They added him going like, my plan is working. <laughs> Finally, I'll get the respect I deserve. Um, I wouldn't want to work with him, though. He seems like a bad dude to work with. Oh, yeah. So here's the first time that we see any of the alien just organism, the egg and everything. Yes. Ash covers this later in the film that it's a perfect organism, but... More than that, it's like a perfect creature design for a film. It's so logical mm. and identifiable as like something from the insect world, but still so alien. I just don't think there's yeah. ever been a better creature. Can you name a better creature than the xenomorph in film? Hmm. That's a great like predator, question. Predator's cool. No, um, yeah, Chewbacca's you're right. Chewbacca's cool, uh, but... I think also it's what you were saying about the when you saw the toy. Yeah. The way it looks, there's something so like, uh, yeah, like a primal terror. I wonder if it's partly like what makes it great is it doesn't have eyes, which in a lot of suits, that's the dodgiest part, right? But the yeah. fact that they just go like, screw it, no eyes. or <laughs> It did have eyes. Giger had eyes on it and... Ridley Scott said, "I doesn't he doesn't want eyes." Ooh, and, and what's interesting, to, yeah, is that this xenomorph—it's hard to tell in the film—but has a clear dome, and then like dark parts underneath, and there's like a human skull that actually—it does have like skull eyes inside of that, Whoa. but you can't really see it because reflectiveness, and you can't tell that that's really a clear dome. By the time you get to aliens, that's it's all black basically. They've changed it. Oh, okay. But, but it yeah. is the fact that it's like canny or uncanny, the like you see like some jawline in there that makes it seem human is like yeah. an, enough of an identification that makes it like scary and threatening. Yeah. And just the way they develop it to be this like evolving parasite that starts with an like implantation of an embryo to like a parasite to yeah. bursting into its own creature the stages like the larval stages basically of it man and what a creature designer's like dream you get to do like four different stages of the same thing that's like uh and well you're getting to something that i know dan o'bannon had talked about which was like he did try to put in every bit of like queasiness that men feel about like women's bodies yeah and so he's like reproduction is a big one because it's kind of like 
I can't do that. What's that about? And so the terror of this is like, what if a man could, and you don't have a vagina to do it. So it bursts out of your chest, but also like the, when Brett gets it or, or, um, uh, uh, Kane gets attacked. It is, um, I, I know Dan O'Bannon has said this. It's like um, oral rape. Yeah. Yeah, he wanted like, it to jar you. Yeah, which is, jarred, yeah. Uh, I, I would think like primarily it is like a, uh, a fear of everyone and a fear of men. And so I do think this movie is like so with the designs of the creatures in the different stages, each of them are like specifically designed to like ick you out. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like a big phallus jamming down your throat and laying an egg in your chest that pops out of your like not vagina is just like I know. And the thing that pops out of you is phallic in its own right. All of this comes out right. of an egg that opens up like almost vaginally and oh those like labia, the labia yeah. like plant that plus the up. fact that they're using I think it was a cow's heart in there and the lining of a cow's stomach in that egg that they use real organs. And then Whoa. when they're dissecting the face hugger, it's uh, shellfish and all the stuff. And they had real guts in the chestburster scene that apparently the set just reeked after that. Then oh I never gosh. caught this before. When, when you see Ash, his head's ripped open and they're messing with the fiber optics and those little clear bulbs in him, underlying all of that is like an intestine I never put it together that Ash had organic part. Like I knew he is kind of like bio. Oh, but you're right. Of course he, yeah. I never thought about that either, but he would have some bio like intestinal track. But he has like it. organs in there. So it makes me wonder, was Ash once human? And oh, they, whoa. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and then when Ash kills Ripley, it's like a repeat of the, he rolls up a, dirty magazine it's porn yeah that's like a porn magazine to shove it down her throat yeah and she's behind them is like naked women pinups yeah and here's a gloft there's like all these naked women pinups and then above that is just a a magazine photo of a bunch of fried eggs (laughs) i don't know (laughs) what that is like someone there someone's like Naked ladies and eggs, my two eggs, man. Things. Isn't that what this yeah. is all about? Yeah, no kidding. I know. Uh, yeah, the when he's looking into that egg and it's translucent, yeah. Oh. When Kane looks down, that's really icky. The fact that, yeah, and when they do, like you mentioned, the face hugger autopsy, that looks like real. I guess it is. It's sea fish, you said, or yeah, shellfish, but it's so the egg, the face hugger, sea fish, sea fish, <laughs> land fish. It is so land deer. <laughs> I'm a land human. It is so real that by the time you get to Prometheus and they discover that first like worm, but it's so CG, even though the CG looks good and the xenomorph CGs look good. There's just something about this that I, to this day, it's 41 years later and you can't beat it. Yeah. Yeah. And then like soon um, after that, the thing with like i think three years after that in 82 that's also like uh for me goes hand in hand with that stuff of like uh i an old fogey thinking practical stuff is great it clearly stands head and shoulders above like uh 
I mean, I know sometimes creature stuff is cool when it's CGI. I'm not saying all that stuff. I'm just saying when it comes to the stuff that makes you want your skin to crawl and like feel icky, it has to have some sort of like, yeah. The fact that like the alien is always like wet just helps a lot. Yeah, it's just exuding XY or KY jelly. <laughs> what do you think of, uh, yeah, like, um, well, I was going to say Brett's death because I like that the way the tail like kind of hits the bottom of the floor and stuff and then yeah. reveals itself because you're seeing the chains hang down. Yeah. And then the chain, his tail kind of looks like a chain possibly. Um, oh, oh, oh. But before that, um, they discover the acid blood. Mm-hmm. This movie has everything. Yeah, and apparently that was put in just to answer why they wouldn't just shoot the alien immediately. Brilliant. That's, yeah. I, I do feel like it's one of those things that gets forgotten and kind of put in the backseat as the sequels go on. Like it. Yeah. Or, or, I'm not to say they totally forget it. It's utilized. I just feel like its potential threat and danger is most thought about in the first alien. Yeah, and and the second one a bit too, because then it starts becoming a weapon itself, which it wasn't really in this. How like Hicks gets burned by the acid, right? And but but you're right. By the third one, is it even a factor in Alien Three? No, because their whole they're on like a big planet. Yeah. So like the idea that it could it's acid. I mean, is maybe bad for the person who's next to it but not like gonna really mess up everybody's stuff yeah and then in the fourth one the aliens use it themselves i don't know if you remember that to no. escape, to escape. <laughs> wait like they have to get away and it's like putting like marbles down on the floor uh no <laughs> it's more well it's right in the beginning i don't want to spoil it if you want to relive it again well you can tell me if people want to advance it 30 seconds there's yeah 30 seconds there's something i like about it there's three aliens imprisoned and they are smart enough to know that if two of them kill one the acid will melt through the floor and they can escape whoa yeah remember brad dorif is the doctor like yeah yeah man i totally forgot about that i'm actually strangely like looking forward to watching the lesser films of this franchise and i thought oh man i've seen alien and alien so many times will I really enjoy them, and then I so much did this morning, but now I'm just looking forward to all of them. Yeah. I was thinking during the last uh, Pinot More, did <laughs> is this the best? Oh, it has to be because Alien's so great, and Aliens is so great. But maybe of all franchises outside of The Godfather, the best one two punch? Star Wars. Star Wars is great too. Yep. This. Uh, yeah, you'd be hard pressed the, to find. I, I'm not. I'm just saying for people who might be fans of the Spider-Man one and two. I, I know people. Yeah, I know there's. I know a lot of people think Superman two falls off Superman one quite a bit, but I like both a lot. Um, yeah, but you may be right. This this is. I might be crazy. Hey, but it might just be a lunatic you're looking for. I am in the market for a lunatic. <laughs> That's what Christy Brinkley said. <laughs> that's what christy brinkley said 
<laughs> that's the every 80s joke 50 percent of them ended with that <laughs> did this uh, movie when you first saw it do you remember being scared of it uh no it's more like i remember feeling like dread that the chestburster scene was going to be really gross and then like anything good i guess after that you're kind of scared something's going to be as equally gross mm, yeah i remember being young enough to be scared of it and i was even scared to see aliens i don't think i realized it was an action movie but you know how i had that my recurring michael myers dreams but over time it got like changed out with Jason and even Freddy, but I used to also have Xenomorph chasing dreams. And these four franchises really? covering, I just realized are the four recurring nightmares I would have. Like this is our last franchise with one of my nightmare characters. I hope. I mean, I don't want us to start watching Child's Play, and then now you start having Chucky dreams. Oh no! I had another Jeeper Creeper. <laughs> Um, did um, when you were saying that it made me realize I think the first full alien like series of scenes that I saw was when aliens was on CBS Sunday night or something oh yeah where they put some of that new footage in well I didn't know but I remember just watching the end when she's like picking it up with the mechanicized uh, suit yeah that was probably my big chunk of first alien and i saw it when i was like in third grade because when you were like did it scare you i remember thinking no i think i was too old by the time i saw alien but i remember aliens making me uneasy that night yeah Yeah. Yeah. especially on a sunday night before you go back to school sometimes it's not fun to see a scary movie Uh, yeah no you need to rest one thing that um uh okay so when when um kane dies oh oh you just asking if i was scared my i think favorite part of this movie is it's so great the first like 45 minutes is just this kind of like dread and then from when kane wakes back up to when the alien bursts out i love that whole moment because your brain is doing this thing where you think it's the movies wrapping up but you go unless you looked at your watch you would go like (laughs) wait a minute this is this can't be wrapping up but like and because the it's been so oppressive and there hasn't been much levity like when you see him they're all laughing and you know the ship has gone and left that planet you're like where else could this go they've left the planet that has all the scary stuff on it I just uh, wish I could have seen this movie for the first time in the theater and oh, not man. been aware of. I, oh, can you imagine? People, yeah, I bet. Like, if you were a filmmaker who, if you were Ridley Scott, you're sitting and watching an audience, you would so it'd be so fun to see the audience just like relax, <sighs> knowing like it's such a mean thing to <laughs> like right before this like insane. <sighs> I want an internal sunshine of the spotless mind for movies. Oh, yes. Or the Men in Black thing, you know. Which movie would you most want that for? Oh Maybe my Alien? God. I couldn't even tell you. I. It's so weird because so many of these amazing films, like you saw as a kid, so I can only kind of 
half remember, but I, as an adult, seeing Casino Royale for the first time just filled me with joy. That's so funny you made the choice of, I'm going to focus on the ones where I did get that, because I was doing that too. I was just like, what moments don't I have to do the Men in Black thing for? And I'm like, I'm glad I got this Sixth Sense experience. Yeah. I remember watching Renting 7 and seeing that ending probably like eight months after the movie had come out in theaters and being so glad nobody spoiled it for me. Oh, right. Yeah. I got that experience. Um, but ones that I wish I had that I knew what was coming and I don't know. I mean, Alien might be it. Alien would be a good one. Empire Strikes Back. Cause I was so young. Oh that, yeah. You know, I don't know if it, like I even understood the certain like implications of it all. <laughs> <laughs> did you were you one of those kids who thought maybe he was lying i don't remember even i don't even remember i remember seeing it in the theater i remember the oh, theater wow. i went to with my cousin i just don't remember that i don't did he turn to you that. and then tell you i'm not your cousin <laughs> like no yeah and he cut off my arm <laughs> <laughs> When they shoot Kane out of the spaceship, he's like a space mummy. I, my note is, I'm surprised Ash let Kane's body be ejected. You'd think he'd be like, I got to save all this like research oh, material. Yeah, the tissue. Yeah. Maybe if you look closely, you see Ash get into like a little machine, like, and go and grab it and bring it back. <laughs> Do you? What's the elite club of actors who have had characters die and get launched into space? So... Leonard Nimoy, <laughs> John Hurt. There's some others too. I forget what Did, they are. In Star Wars, does no? I guess Han Solo just gets put in a tomb-like thing, but he doesn't get shot out into space. He just gets oh yeah through space in a ship. Yeah, there are more. Club. <laughs> there are some that get like tossed out to sea, too. Like in Master and Commander, I think they do the same kind of thing, but just to sea. Well, our boy Osama got it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, our boy, our boy, friend of the podcast, Osama bin Laden. We uh, we know you've been listening in your secret <laughs> undersea compartment with your seventy-two virgins <laughs> versions hey, uh, of this podcast. Well, I was gonna say, uh, I know a couple of them aren't. I, I'm not saying because I betted them. Oh, they're just friends of mine, and they told me they like okay. Up. I was thinking it was 72 versions of this podcast and he's such, such a high level Patreon. He's the one person we do 72 different recordings of each episode for Osama bin Laden. And that's a true story. <gasps> true story. You can take it to the bank. Yeah. And if you want to subscribe at that level, it's $600,000 a month. <laughs> would you, would you for $600,000 a month do 72 versions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the least amount of money you would do that for? To do 72 different versions of the same episode? Yeah. And they have to be like two to three hours. Long. So, <laughs> so it would be like you had to do, you'd have to do like two a day. It would be a full-time job. Wait, to do 72 versions of a two-hour episode, that's um, what? Two, uh, 184, 144? Well, if you're doing 72 episodes, you break that into that's 31. So you're basically doing, you have to do two a day to make, to, to get there. You have to do two episodes a day. To get them done in like how many 
what per, time frame? To do, a month, because this is monthly. Oh. We have to do this, and and that I can do that Saturdays and Sundays. So some days you, if you want a mm. weekend, you got to take right. You got to four hour. Probably do three a day, and then sometimes two a day. You don't have to say what your price is, but I would like you to just think about it and examine it yourself and <laughs> later on. What if we went by a per day rate? I think that could make it easier for me. Okay. Like if somebody say you got to devote six hours doing one version and then two different versions that day of the same hour or the same. That'd be the toughest part is how hard it would get towards the end of the month. Cause you're talking about the same thing and, and you're doing it for Osama bin Laden. <laughs> <laughs> what has yeah, he ever done for us? Not only has he never done anything for us, he's actively harmed us. And I'm going to guess that Osama's not listening to all of them. No, he's dead. That's the crazy thing. <laughs> yes. He's dead. Yeah, right. In quotes, wink, wink. Uh huh. We he's know, dead. we know. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you think of that room when Brett walks in and it's like that goldish room? What is that, like a cargo bay? But it kind of all has that golden hue when he first walks in. It's beautiful. Oh, I didn't notice it. Um, before he gets all chainsy, when he when he goes to look at oh, Jonesy, Jonesy. I didn't, yeah, it didn't register with me, but I have to say there was a period around this time in the movie where I stopped writing notes and I was just so absorbed that I was just watching. My, this is the shortest amount of notes. People might be shocked of any movie we've watched just because it's like, I think it's like 15 things. I'm just like notable, but yeah, same. Yeah, there's uh, a definite inverse correlation. The better the movie, the less notes. The oh, this was, movie. yeah. And this yeah. was the first movie where I could just watch it and not pause it. Yeah. All the other ones I end up having to pause because I'm like writing down like, <laughs> so in Freddy's dead, I guess the 3D thing is called Freddy vision. So I'm going to write that down. <laughs> if I look down to type that out, my eyes are away. So Pause. I hate drop detuning. <laughs> I don't. I just, oh, I forgot to tell you because we talked about this on the mailbag episode. But, you know, you know, I got a little backlash for that. And I do apologize to all you drop deers out there. Um, but after that, I went on YouTube and there was a suggestion for me of top 10 best drop D songs. And I'm like, is Google listening to me or the podcast? Oh, you're saying it wasn't sent to you by someone. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was just suggested to me. And then I, I hesitate to say that I watched it and I'm like, those are all shitty songs. <laughs> no, I'm just, I am not, I'm not dissing drop D cause I did realize it's Just an it like era of drop D that I hate. It's that uh, 2000s, like all, like, uh, I still don't even know what to call it, but sludge. Sludge, yeah. It's not a, a Nirvana drop D that I dislike. I, I like that, you know, and there's some other stuff, yeah. the pavement stuff. I love pavement. So clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm, I'm really sorry. Hey, I look, I bet there's a lot of silent drop anti-drop D heads out there <laughs> who are nodding along right now. Well, you know what? Not one of them has reached out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's space, hear from no them. One can hear you drop a D. <laughs> a deuce. Um, oh, I noticed. You know, oh, no, go, please, please go ahead. This uh, 1979 version does cut out 
the moment where Parker and Ripley spot the alien taking away Brett. I think they do add that in the um, new version. Ah. And so there is like, um, it's not a bad hiccup, but your brain does kind of, for me, it did a hiccup when they're in the meeting or later after that. And they go, it just took them up out of the sky or something like that. I noticed that too. And I didn't know why that felt weird. I wonder why that was taken out originally. Is it like, I think it might've been, well, they, I guess there was a lot of gore in Brett's death scene that they had to take out for ratings. Oh, so when they're looking up at him, I bet he's like bloody and bleeding out and stuff. Maybe, although I can't remember. It's, I've only seen the director's cut of Alien once, I think. Mm. For a while, it was the one that I think I was watching a lot. Uh, Is, isn't it? It's the same runtime because he added stuff, but then took out stuff to keep it paced but i feel like i remember the beginning even being slower yeah i think you're right that it was stuff taken and added so it basically um and then the main thing uh, or not the main thing but one pivotal thing is she finds dallas like encloaked in like a cocoon thing oh, and he's like half right. dead and it goes against sort of how the state how they're in aliens that there's something that runs counter to that mythology like it goofed it up by adding that scene later it it kind of undid something about how the aliens incubate people or something like they don't really do that i think in aliens oh because they do but they <sighs> or no is it more like they added it and now it works with aliens that's how i could be getting it, it wrong might be it is interesting that they took it out because it is there in aliens but i think the thing that out of line is that it requires an egg to be laid at like the foot of the cocoon person because that's what they do in aliens There's okay yeah cocoon near the eggs but it could it feels like it would still work for this xenomorph to just be doing its like instinctual hive mind of cocooning a host even if there's an egg or not you know like pre- preparing so- it for the queen that's so great and so true and gross about animals when they do and yeah. I guess people, but <laughs> you're doing something that's just like not pivotal. It's just out of like weird instinct. Yeah. I, know. I hate yeah. it. it. Makes me feel weird. You know, what makes me feel gross inertia. Sometimes when I think about inertia, like if I turn a corner and the thing that's on my dry on the passenger seat kind of wants to keep rolling forward because it's telling <laughs> itself. It makes me queasy to think about it. You get like, creeped out by inertia. <laughs> yeah, my body, I get nauseous. The thought of like, oh, this stuff wants to keep moving forward, but I'm making it turn. <laughs> you should write a horror film called Inertia. Inertia. Hello. Because that's the only way it could scare you if you're a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed something new that I never have when Ooh. Ash and Ripley have their little fight. Yeah. Um, well, just not their fight where he tries to kill her, but the little scuffle they have in Mother. Oh, yeah. She's got blood coming out of her nose, and he's got milk blood coming down the side of his temple, <gasps> and it's just this little parallel. But you don't that's know. Awesome. You don't know he's an android at that point, do you? That's another thing that's like I've always known he's an android, so I've never. It's never registered to me when the twist comes because it comes for them when they knock his head off. Yeah. But, but we don't know until that happens or we're cued in when we see this white milk that something's off. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't think there's full confirmation until the head getting knocked off. 
but just that parallel of them both yeah. body fluids yeah well in your brain my brain does something like when he first starts flipping out even though i know it's not an alien I don't know. I imagine if you're sitting in the audience and you're watching it for the first time, this has to be like, kind of like, where's this going? Yeah. So the fact that his head gets knocked off and it's milk is almost kind of like more surprising because it's like, <laughs> Oh, it's not another alien. It's just a weird, another, uh, uh, yeah. Like somebody getting, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, their body getting torn apart, but, uh, 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 um, yes, yes. It's just another type of mutilation. I noticed when his head, falls off there's kind of like this funny like like sound effect like uh, giggling yeah his voice when he's dying there and then like d- when he does that like spinning roll along yeah. mother too is it's so yeah and he's spraying and it's like yeah. projectiling while he's spinning around yeah oh, that's another dodgy part that very very end when it goes back to the head that's like fake and it yeah. looks nothing. what is no, that? No. he's got like a crooked smile and this movie when... that's like so perfect and expert like every detail and then they just kind of throw that in twice i know i thought it. like you could just not have that it's so weird it's when they have to move it separate from the table but still i don't know that you need it <laughs> yeah, when parker f- like flamethrowers him and his flesh melts away and you see like almost like a plasticine skull. It really reminded me of the engineers from Prometheus. You know, I don't think they based it on that obviously, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe Ridley Scott's brain. He just thinks skulls are cool. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I just have like kind of in this last, um, stretch here as as the last kind of three people um i noticed that as ripley's character takes more of a forefront there is this kind of interesting thing that happens where and maybe it's in the eye of the beholder and i'm the beholder ripley like gets like sexy or something like her suit starts to get and certainly by the end when she's in her underwear then that underwear is so low cut they might as well be socks it's crazy. I've never seen underwear like that. Like, it almost seems not even serviceable as what underwear is supposed to do. Yeah, that's Most not of her... space underwear. That's no. not like NASA gives out this like sexy Sigourney. Well, it'd be funny if they were like, you know, Ripley is pretty sexy. She's got those <laughs> legs that go on for days. So let's give her some sexy underwear. <laughs> Yeah, she does. And she like puts her hair up at one point. Like they make a point to say her going over to the computer and like putting, tying her hair up. And yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It, it feels like it's also a part of like her pragmatism or something. It's like somebody who's like Lambert. And Lambert's interesting because they made both of them female. Um, this movie feels so progressive in that it's like just the choice of Sigourney Weaver's the hero, but it is interesting. They do kind of like a little bit of like backpedaling of like, it's not going to get too progressive. The other woman is a whining rag the whole time. You know what I mean? Or it's just like completely. And I don't mind that because that's who I would be in that situation. These people (laughs) aren't trained to like take on aliens. And when she's like, let's just go. And they're like, we'll run out of air and we won't make it back in time. And she's like, I don't care. Let's just go. I'm like the <laughs> same. I'm like, I'm going to die from this alien. That I seems know. way worse than just like running out of air later when I'm asleep. I can't tell 
if it's, I feel like it's a good thing that you've got both those versions in there because yeah. it then feels like they're not trying to make one grand statement about femininity that it, that it comes in all forms and that men right. and women can be cowards and heroes. And man, I think Veronica Cartwright's so good in this yeah. movie. Like she's, her performance is incredible. I love all the it. acting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, oh, and it, she's so afraid. And yeah. that when she's finally faced with the xenomorph, she, all she's doing is just panicking. And all she has to do is just jump to the side so Yafet Koto can blast it. And she can't even do that. And so he has to go save her. And then that gets him killed and then her killed. And it's so tragic. I like the end there. Yeah. How it's all like kind of human error. I mean, it has been the whole time, but it's just yeah. like they're particularly, it's like they're very close to success and their own kind of like, I mean, inability to be like the alien, right? Just kind of yeah. be like uh, emotionless. Um, I heard that Harry Dean Stanton, when he had to act the scene of looking at the alien, I was like, ooh, this is a good acting tip he was told to look scared about something you should somebody told him look as if you don't you're confused by what you're looking at like that that's yeah. an easier way to like sell I was like oh that's cool like instead of like showing trying to like how do i show abject terror yeah like just being like i guess and I did think about it when I've gotten scared. The moment before I realize what's happening, it is kind of this like weird, like, wait, what is that? Oh, it's a skunk. <laughs> like, <laughs> most of it is kind of like confusion and mystery. It's not a lot of like declaration of my terror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That it, it was effective because it wasn't a hundred percent. Does he see the xenomorph? Yeah, it's kind of like you're like, is what's that weird bug over there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, but so yeah, good. she's awesome too. And then her death—that's a reused shot from Brett's death. Oh, really? When that tail is going around her leg, and they kind of make some sort of suggestion that she's maybe assaulted by the alien. Yeah. They didn't have. They didn't shoot the rest of her death, which was she was supposed to go back into like a container that where they found Jonesy later, and he hisses. Yeah, and she was going to have a heart attack inside there and die. She just sees the alien and has a heart attack and dies. Oh my god! And they didn't shoot that, and so they needed something. So they used. You can tell because I guess it's like Brett's leg with a tennis shoe. It's a pant with a tennis shoe, and she's wearing white legs, has white pants and boots. Oh, that's just love that shit because I'd never noticed. I know. Yeah. It's like it speaks so much to how great it is that you're just like in the moment, right? I just don't know that a heart attack would have been effective because I don't think that you can depict a woman that age having a heart attack in that moment and go like, oh, that's definitive. She's dead. She had a heart attack. It feels like it wouldn't be that satisfying. She fainted or something to be like, get yeah. that lady some spelling salts. <laughs> That's and a straw boater. <laughs> uh, I don't have many notes either, other than like that self-destruct device and process Ripley goes through is so incredible. Just that bit of prop technology is so wonderful. Isn't it? Like the, I love the part where the plungers are manu manually going down or, or automatically going down. Yeah. And then she does the thing that's like so human that you do yeah. with your car. She's trying to like just push it down to get it going. Yeah. It's brilliant. 
Oh, so good. Uh, the other technology thing that like when the surge screen comes up, that's a, I'm a mega Blade Runner fan, Gorley. I don't know if we've really ever talked no, about it. No, you I'm haven't. A, I'm obsessed. And that surge, uh, purge screen, purge, comes in um, Edward James Olmos's space car later. When he gets Decker on the screen, says purge, and it goes up. Oh. It's, the, it's the exact same graphic. But there's a lot of, I think, like Blade Runner, Replicant, Alien... It makes sense because Ridley Scott's a really talented artist too. So he probably did a lot of sketches and graphic design that would have been, you know, built upon for the films. Yeah. I got to say, Ridley Scott's a really curious person for me where I am just like flat out obsessed with Alien and Blade Runner and everything else I can take or leave. And I think it's partly because if you're making a new movie every year and a half, there ain't no way he's putting the amount of attention and detail that he did in the alien blade runner. That makes it so great. That's like yeah. what I feel is missing. He's the Ryan Adams of filmmaking. <laughs> How so? I don't know the Ryan Adams. Well, He's but... just like brilliant, but so prolific. I think it thins everything out and, yeah. and problematic in a lot of his, you know, <laughs> dalliances to say the least. But yeah, I, I agree. I alien and blade runner. I just love those films and I couldn't tell you another Ridley Scott film that I really enjoy. Close. Yeah. Like that. I mean, I know people like gladiator. I don't. I don't Uh, either. I don't either. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I don't either. And I guess I like Prometheus and alien covenant, but not nowhere near as much as. Yeah. Did you like blade runner 2049? Oh, I didn't watch it. It was, (sighs) it came out. How could you? Two days b- before after Mary was born. That's no excuse, Paul. I know, I know. But no. then what happened was I was in that kind of baby fog for the first month that it was out and I missed it in theaters. And then it's just kind of been a sad, like, I guess I'm going to have to watch it at home when I wish I had watched uh, it. In the oh, yeah. But what did you think? What did you think of the part two? I have no idea. I. I, I have a complicated relationship with Blade Runner. I, I love it and I want to love it. And then every time I watch it, I do get a little bored sometimes, but I love looking at it. And I really liked looking at the 2049 one. And so I found it pretty mm-hmm. interesting, but I only saw it once. So I don't, I don't know. You saw it in the theater when it came out. And yeah. Yeah. I should watch it again. I like that um, filmmaker a whole bunch. The Denis. Oh, me too. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. I'm forgetting that Ridley Scott didn't even do that. I was thinking he did. Why didn't he? What? Oh, but he criticized it after it came out. He was like, it was too long. Like he, oh, Ridley Scott. Wow. Yeah. Um, Cause I love, uh, I mean, Arrival might be my favorite sci-fi movie the last, oh no, Children of Men's pretty good too. Oh, but, those are both amazing. Yeah. yeah. And um, Sicario, my God, I loved. Yeah, yeah. And I he saw was, his movie, the uh, kind of like a doppelganger one with Jake Gyllenhaal. That's really oh, good. Enemy? Yeah. I haven't seen that. Or he did Prisoner, right? I didn't see Prisoners. That's good. Yeah. And um, he was shortlisted to do a Bond movie. I was so, had my fingers crossed. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah I'm, not a big, yeah, I'm not a big Dune head beforehand, but I could see this movie getting me into it. Yeah, me too. I don't know anything about it. I never even saw the 
original Lynch version. I've tried and I can't. I've, I've tried watching the David Lynch one like two or three times and I get bored. You dropped D. <laughs> David Lynch, finally. You're going to get some slack, buddy. You better watch out. It's okay. I'll get you through this. Do you think when um, David Lynch went through puberty, it was drop D? <laughs> um, Parker's oh death. What do you think that is? It's like, because I know you love squibs. It's like a meat explosion pack. It's so quick. It's hard to tell. And it does feel like the fact that they didn't shoot Lambert's death and this seems cobbled together and the way they're cutting away does feel like this, this whole scene seems to have been short shifted. You know, I don't know what, were they running behind? Why didn't they shoot Lambert's death? Yeah. And I will say, I think it's maybe, I don't know. It, it is a overall thing. Rewatching it. I was most in touch with last night. I was thinking, Oh, this feels like, the end feels a little bit more, certainly, obviously, but just like more rushed than the beginning in terms of just like some care. And yeah, yeah. and something happens when the self-destruct thing happens that I partly just chalk it up to like, it's kind of like when I was watching her run through and it was handheld. And also there's two moments that I just love, like that strobe light effect that's like on mm. her. She's like clutching the wall is incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then also when the ship, blows up at the end and they do that like white face thing on her and it's like rattling and it goes on it happens twice they like it blows up and then another explosion happens yeah. and both of them go on a little longer than you'd expect it's just yeah. like you're like wow i'm watching a movie where somebody's just like faces rattling on frame I, when i see those moments or just like when she's running around there's like smoke and like lights and flares are going everywhere i'm like it's so amazing if you just put this five seconds next to five seconds of the beginning movie how opposite just the vibes are <laughs> yeah it yeah. went so from so quiet to so insane in two hours yeah and that if i have maybe one note or critique it's that this whole thing kicks off with a guy bursting a xenomorph bursting out of a man's chest so that when you finally get to all these deaths later on and they're quick cuts and some of them you don't even see any contact yeah it does feel like a, an oversight rather than a choice to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it is pretty hard to, it's not just like the best Kane's death. Isn't just like the best death in the movie that they have to top. It's like in a genre, like a yeah. hall of fame, like all timer. Yeah. How do you top that is yeah. Really, really challenging. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, maybe that's like why some of the deaths feel a little bit more slipshod. It's just like, oh, I didn't really get to see it, and it is, or it wasn't as impactful. Um, mm. I did think it was funny. The um, I love the little part. Oh my gosh, I never thought about this. It's a little Michael Myers face appearing out of the darkness. Is the oh yeah when the xenomorph it, his head looks like a pipe yeah and you're looking at it it's not exactly like Halloween because uh, what's cool about it is like if you wanted to you could just look at the xenomorph's head for a long time in yeah. the frame yeah. and then it finally moves but I noticed and what I imagined is a little bit maybe was to have your eye follow things his head is like right above Sigourney Weaver's like underwear butt. It's like if your eye just moved a, 
a little bit above it, you dirty perv. You would see the alien, but instead you're too distracted yeah, by this like naked. You leaf. are. Yeah. You are too distracted. <laughs> you dirty devils. Uh, yeah. Hey, it's not that kind of podcast, listeners. No, it's this kind. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, Jesus, but, I'm yeah. Notes. Me too. Me too. Uh, oh, but when she goes inside that wall closet and puts the suit on, that also feels like Lori in the closet bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think she, last question, what is she, oh, do you think, why is the alien kind of waiting a long time? Do you think the alien's like a little sick? Oh, he's homesick. <laughs> um, like in Predator, like he kind of delays, he knows she, he's in there and he's just kind of like, he feels a little like he's not his best. Yeah, I, that's another thing I like about this movie though, is that if you think about it, the aliens never on the hunt, they are. And it's kind of doing that. It's more scared of you than you are of him. It's like defense mechanism thing. And that it actually, whether this is intentional or not really makes sense with aliens because they start attacking in aliens, but it feels like a hive mind strength and numbers kind of thing. Like that's how that organic society would work. Like ants, it attacks in colonies, even though it's a like vicious killing machine on its own, it feels more like a wild, defense mechanism or something i don't know i love that yeah and right just being able to yeah by the end you know it's not predator it is like the other ones are attacked by it and if it was like um if they had left it alone it would have been okay yeah yeah and it, yeah even the like chestburster runs away, but it feels like that's instinctual so it can go grow to the size it needs to be. It, it does make sense that it would have to hunt at some point because it feels like its whole mission is like a worker bee to get a host, cocoon it up so that the queen can lay an egg for it. That's what I love about that last 10 minutes where you're just like, you think he's off to, he's blown up and then you find out he's in there. And then when he starts trying to crawl, when he gets thrown out, and the alien tries to, I should maybe be saying she, tries to go back inside the ship and that's when she has to blast it out. Like the way it works is just like you're like watching an animal's pursuit to survive. Yeah. Like it, it's really, you're not like thinking the alien's got a gripe against Ripley. You're right. You're just like watching an animal just try to like get back into a car so it doesn't like splat on the road. Or yeah. And it is kind of cool to think of it, like you said, is it sick? Because they did say it's good at adapting to its environment, but who knows if it is entirely. And it presumably hasn't eaten because it doesn't seem to eat humans. Its job yeah. is to like string them up. What do you think a xenomorph likes to eat? Soup. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> That's just what that little thing in his mouth is for. It's, just to, <laughs> it's like, a straw. Soup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God it has metal teeth. That was just a like <laughs> mutation that was lucky for natural selection. <laughs> um, wow. Well, should we do best kill? And then we'll read. We have the last slate of baby Xenophor, Xenomorph names to read. And it's so fitting that it's How on fitting. the Xenomorph podcast. There'll be more yeah. in the future, but. Um, How fitting indeed. Yeah. I, best kill. I mean, what? It's one of the best kills in all yeah. of cinema history. Yeah. And that's Lambert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be Kane. It's oh, incredible. Kane, Citizen yeah. Kane. 
Yeah, so good. Yeah, uh, really, it can't be beat. Nope. Uh, I'm trying to think of, oh, we didn't, we should, at the end of Alien, the Alien franchise, rank all the movies, but as a whole, like all 40. So it would be like, number one, Alien for me. Number two, Halloween. Number three, Friday the 13th, part two. Like, did we ever do that? Like, No, you're right. So, Xenomorph style splice the DNAs together. <laughs> I love it. And okay. I'm going to have trouble remembering some of the, the nightmare <laughs> ones, but let's do that. Let's not forget too. So we'll have a 40 movie or so ranked list of the best to worst. Nothing to do with franchise, just which is the best movies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Because I really want to see like what happens more at the bottom of the barrel when these like snakes yeah. are all fighting each other to get out of the barrel. Or even the hardest is going to be the middle because I know my favorites and my least favorites. Yes. Those middle ones are going to be tough. Yeah. But I think we can do it. Where does an Alien 3 stack up with a Halloween 5? Above. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not to spoil <laughs> our 40 movies. <laughs> coming in the last oh, episode the betters market knows at least way to start yeah where to the, skew. The gamblers out there are going to be like okay so with that in mind yeah and it'll be interesting to rank this franchise against the other three because you know we always talk about how friday the 13th is consistent halloween's got the biggest highs and lows and what yeah. did we say about nightmare that it was kind of the most fun of them um or no i can't that remember they, uh were the most like uh yeah I, uh, it was like most inventive and kind of like original yeah yes original yeah so where this one will fall i already have some ideas but we'll save that for the end too yeah it, it definitely has on its side big budget studio like yeah. but both to its success and to its failure sometimes right. more money don't doesn't more mo money more problems probably. that's right all right we'll read this list of um xenomorph donors and then we'll yes. uh, don't go anywhere because we're going to rate this movie out of 13 and that comes from the original 13 for 13 out of friday the 13th rating so right. uh let me share my screen and wonderful you too listener if you're not already a patreon member can join at the baby xenomorph level and have your name read aloud like this on the podcast and um we'll be starting uh i will start right here all right with ryan patrick bartley and we're moving up down, down. down. okay ronald bartlett oh that's who i read but I'm sorry. I oh boy. And wait, I just no, I no, okay. I screwed it up. I, I did I say Ronald Patrick Bartley? I meant Ryan Patrick. <laughs> oh, Bartley. I don't know what I said. You're right. <laughs> We're all mixed up. Well, he got his name read twice, <laughs> and then then you did Ronald Bartlett. He got his name read twice too. You guys have to send in an extra month's donation. <laughs> uh, and then Umar did. I know that name. Hi, Umar. John Warman. Who's swim fan? Swim fan. I don't know. Do we read? Oh, I guess we I'll, should read screen names. Okay, got it. Swim fan. <laughs> Neverman. James Abrams. Ian Butcher. Thomas O'Donohue. Rudy Jones. Ian Fleming. What? Wow, we, I'm honored. 
Yeah, I know. Wow, you got some real luminaries in here. John Congleton. Becky Bauer. Giuseppe Butici. Griff Griffey? He. Kane Hill. Harold Gardner. Sam Bonderoff. King Trevor. Bartholomew. King Trevor Bartholomew. Kevin. Bartholomew. Kevin. <laughs> King, oh wait, what am I doing? I'm reading this. We're really, I'm tanking this. Jeremy Biss. Chris Parker. Mike Bennett. Wickham Clay. Or is there more? Jason Wheatley. Oh, Cynthia Blades. Jessica Dalton. Joshua Hensley. Doug Bond. Tyler Shaw. Alan Carson. Crystal Coolhane. Hayden. Mason Havens. Panda Style. Whitney Baltz. And that's it. We have reached the end of our baby xenomorph contributor Ooh. levels. Thank you so much. We'll do Thank another round all. of those when a new batch comes in. We appreciate it. Yes, much, uh, very much so. Well, Gorley, how exciting to kick this uh I know. And was this maybe our longest one yet? Uh, I don't think so. Some of us can tell us, but we're at 243. But then there's some pauses in there where we took some long pee breaks that the listener won't know about. Yeah. Where we but peed for 20 minutes straight. As always, longer than the movie. <laughs> That's our only promise. Uh, so, boy, out of 13... Paul, where Whew. do you fall? I'm going to say 13. Me too, buddy. I don't see Whoa. how anybody couldn't. Wow. Wow. I think that this and Halloween probably are the most universally understood 13s. Yeah, until we watch Cedar Chucky, it's probably going to be the best <laughs> one we see. <laughs> or Leprechaun 8. I got tall. <laughs> How are we going to shake up the Leprechaun franchise? Make them tall. <laughs> green light. And I do mean green. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be back. I'm so excited to same. get into all elements of this franchise with you, my friend. Yeah, same. I love uh, this franchise and I know you love it too. So it, it's a fun thing to share together. Yeah. And we'll see you next time on... With Gorley and... Ah! <laughs> For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Wood. And performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Hi, crew of the Nostromo. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey.
Wake up, everyone. It's your favorite Nostromo counselors. <laughs> I'm Bradley Droop. I'm Terrence Flim. And don't <laughs> worry. It's going to be smooth. We only woke you up out of your cryo sleep. Well, one for eggs and bakey. Actually, nude pinup naked ladies and bakey and eggs. But also, um, what? What is it? I thought I heard uh, some cans fall over. And the sound of acid spit hitting the floor. Why is that cat hissing over there behind me? Rosie, are you okay? Oh my god. Oh my god. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.